It's Gentleman Jack Crack. Cue that fucking jaunty music. Nineteenth century groveling, groveling, groveling. Good lord. Hello, friends. Hi, everyone. We're we're kind of dying, but we're also kind of <laughs> not. But we kind of are dying. Yeah. Um, Have you missed us? You know, seasons change. They bring um, all sorts of and things. And some people die from allergies in the process of yes. changing to fall. But welcome to Nightcap. Uh, yes. Uh, Gentleman Jack. What is it? 105.5? Nightcap. Yes. I like that you're doing the 105 because series started, two is yeah. coming. The, I'm, the trying very wise. I'm trying it's to be very wise. about it. So, yes, this is the historical nightcap for Gentleman Jack, episode five. Let's have another look at your past. Perfect. Although I said that way more cheerfully than what is yeah, mostly presented in this episode. Right. Uh, my inflection for the episode would have been reversed. Let's have another look at your past. Perfect. Yes. Well, before we get further into it, shall we cheers? Oh, yes. Uh, do let's. And um, I guess you could let the... Uh, let the listeners know what it is that I'm, I'm drinking because this is magnificent. Oh, yes. We're drinking the same thing. This is inspired by my birthday. I drink ahead of my birthday. And it's a Hawaiian mimosa, which is um, Caribbean coconut rum, Malibu, with champagne. And this is pink champagne in honor of Ann Walker when her sleeves of thirst were happy. Oh, and what else is in here? What did I say? Oh, pineapple juice. Oh, good. We got Fruit it open. Great. And actual pineapples. Yeah, I I, <laughs> you, I got, got it open. Away. I right, jimmied right. it with there something sharp. Great. And that was fine cool. enough. Just shiv it in. Like, no, that's great. I like that. Um, shiv it in. I mean, hey. <laughs> so it's been a, a little bit longer than usual that we got back together because, as we quickly said when we opened up, that we've been sort of dying. Yeah. Um, allergy season's like the literal worst. Also, um, there was a minor uh celebration of life for the you know living and then celebration of life for the departed like there's been things things have been going on yes things have been going on you've had drama i've had i know i've had drama i've just had work and i've mostly just been trying to not die um from my allergies really which you know we were trying to record sooner but honestly you guys don't want to hear that you don't want to hear what uh, the podcast right. would have sounded all like. the hacking and the, the <laughs> snuffles. Yeah, it would have yeah, been, it would have been really bad. It would yeah. have sounded like the foley for an eighties horror film. Yeah, that's like that's, the blob or we, something. We operate on uh, two uh, good of equipment. You it, know when the gremlins was, are changing, like when they oh, get wet. Oh no, when they get wet now. <laughs> no! Sorry, that's exactly what we would have been wow. doing. Like. I mean, yeah, but hell, wow. And sadly for you, you missed out on the Janelle Monáe concert we mentioned that we were going to. Just lamentable, yeah. regrettable. I, I saw lots of Snapchats <laughs> and, and uh, moments and stories and photos. and Yeah, guys, she ended up totally walking into the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my friend were eating in after the show. Just trying to have some salmon and there she, there she comes in. I could have, I mean, she's so small, I could have totally stolen her and just after, right? kidnapped her in that moment. Not that I'm suggesting anyone should ever try to <laughs> kidnap Janelle Monet because she's so tiny. I'm just saying, observation made. But yeah, that was super fun. But you did get, see, now you said you already got tickets to Atlantis. 
Oh yeah, on Broadway. I I, I just I need to make day. sure that you will be there. <laughs> Listen, I picked the day. Um, if the day doesn't work, I mean it's previews. It's the literal second day of previews. I was like, I'm going. It's probably going to be like at two or three in the afternoon. Who cares? That's all right. Right, and I'm pretty sure that um, it's just an excuse to day drink. I mean, yes, yes, 150 <laughs> percent yes, because Jack Little the musical is something that exists and is um, going to debut very very soon yes um i'm all of the excitement because i mean who i I mean for all the times that we've broken into alanis okay right songs and for this to be a thing that exists i was like what i got an alert there's a photo i put it on my ig there's an alert i got an alert maybe two minutes later there's an email right after the alert that takes to our sale that there was a confirmation of the purchase so it was like well <laughs> so i that's my life choice i did that you know what it needed to be done yes i support it 600 percent. we still need to figure out when we're seeing fleabag and well, you know who i saw is performing soon Slater kinney and i only bring them up because they legit haven't performed since i was in high school it's a it's been a while okay maybe maybe college so we have a short list okay so Slater Kenny definitely flee back whatever day you get just let me know the day and then I'll just be sick from (laughs) real life and escape like I need to be able to escape and do this thing um also I think in November uh formerly known as we'll be back oh right Oh, and you know, and Comic-Con's coming up this week. If anyone is going to be around for that, we'll be jaunting about. We can oh, hit yes. us up on the Insta or something if you want to say, hey. BBC never has anything at Comic-Con, so there will be sad. nothing for us to find. No, it'll, I feel like, if anything, it's for Doctor Who. But that's, that's like, it begins and ends with Doctor Who. They need to do something about that a little bit. But, um, you know, which on a side note, I feel like, I mean, we guessed this, but I saw some hard numbers the other day. With respect to Gentleman Jack's ratings in the United States in comparison to the UK. And it is like a massive, (laughs) it is a massive drop, man. Some episodes, I feel like the first episode was averaging somewhere around just over 6 million, maybe 6.5. And comparably in the US, it was definitely under half a million. It's that no one knew. I feel like it was, it was like the big secret. Shall we blame HBO? Like, who do we blame for this? I mean... Where were the adverts? Where were the where were the posters on like in New York? The sub. Where's the street team? Mm. Where's there's just things missing. I think so too. And sometimes I wonder. But then they partnered with HBO. So on the one hand, I would be like, well, what does the BBC really know about getting the word out in the states outside of like critical acclaim? Because outside of Doctor Who, what do we have? Like Luther, maybe Downton Abbey, you know. But those sort of things. Maybe Luther was a bit word of mouth in a certain respect and downtown Abbey has like, well, legends in there. So that kind of works for itself. But it's interesting because like, how do we fix that for season two outside of just, I mean, since the awards season for Emmys is completely gone, we have potentially the golden globes and stuff, but it's like, what does HBO do? Especially with the massive hiatus and the BBC to, I mean, just look at the, the, the market penetration of all these actors. I mean, we know they have long careers and Saran Jones burst in popularity with Dr. Foster, but it is a huge difference to have anywhere from five to six million people watching in the UK. And there's not even that many people in the UK compared to the United States. And here in the whole of these United States, we had 400,000? Yeah, that, that don't sound 
Downtown and culture. some episodes it was lower. Some episodes it went below that, depending on. And to be fair, I wasn't watching it live. I was like, I'll do it later because we were in the midst of our Killing Eve stuff. And it yes. just seemed like a lot of stuff was happening at the time. And I wasn't sure if I was going to love it. So I was like, I don't know. I'll pause. But yeah, I don't. Um, I just thought that was really wild. <laughs> uh, what can change? What can be done? Well, we've gotten with Killing Eve, at least there was the well, it premiered ahead of. You know, so that worked in his favor. Uh, and then also was AMC, and AMC at least knows how to promote something. We saw billboards in the subways. We saw, even if the marketing didn't stay long, and we we tried to take a photo of, like, some marketing for Killing even though it was gone. But at least we knew it was there because we saw it. We remembered seeing it. I don't remember seeing any type of marketing at all. I feel like I saw maybe one poster in a train stop. Did you see me take a Claritin yet? Or was I just fiddling with the bottle? I, I want to say the second. Because I don't remember it. I don't remember you taking. Okay, fiddling with the bottle. It. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, it's, it's, and it's what we said a lot on the, on Well Well Villanelle is that, you know, people have heavily taken for granted Sandra O's fame and the deep love and stock she's curried with American viewers because that was step number one to getting Eve noticed was that hella people were looking for Sandra O oh and nobody right. knew who Jodie Comer was. Unfortunately, in this cast, everybody's motherfucking from the UK. Yeah, everybody. everybody. And so Americans don't know who these people are. And so there's no one. There's not even an entry point of an American actor. In fact, the most well-known character would be uh, Gemma, who Yara, Yara Greyjoy from Game of Thrones. But and even then she was a secondary character, but she's definitely the one with the most visibility, visibility yeah. in america so i don't know but that was uh something i saw and i was like damn like i thought it was gonna be low but i think it was gonna be like comedy central low yeah this i is, was shocked um i don't know if if maybe there's a a reporting cycle that needs to kind of happen with this in you know stateside where there's uh interviews i don't know if we were at ellen level now with four hundred thousand. i mean oh, that's not sure. I don't know if you can get to Ellen with ratings that only look like that. Like I, I don't, know. That's like a, it's up to us, the fans, <laughs> to keep talking about it and keep it going and trending and the book and the top list and stuff because that's the only way we're gonna. It's gonna get the attention it deserves. And is, is that gonna be the the thing that HBO leans on to say? Oh, we didn't submit it because I mean, no one's watching it. <laughs> I read that they did submit a DVD of something, but I just feel like. I mean, we already saw that HBO claimed a lot of slots for the Emmys and then canceled themselves out generally for almost all the awards now that we are post Emmys. Um, So I don't, it's hard to say. I was just like, damn, we got to find a way to increase this motherfucking audience in the United States. And hopefully the BBC will think about deploying other programs to try and entice people to what's going on, like hook up with the LGBTQIA film festivals or things or things like make sure people are seeing it. Like what? Or, you know, higher education, because I'd love to hear more about these. Oh, sure. Academics can talk about it. I would hear more about these immortal lesbian courses. Like, I will pay and do an online version of this course and just sit and, like, listen. And hopefully, I mean, I'm just saying, I would. I would. And I'm sure others would as well. Yeah. (laughs) Hell yes. (laughs) Gays are always willing to give their money for more stellar gay content. And then uh, I'm imagining, I'm imagining, I'm, I have the visions of Grubble Graffiti. What? 
Grubble. What, what do you mean by grubble graffiti? Grubble graffiti. Uh, well, I'm grubble, saying graffiti. That can't be right. Graffiti. graffiti. I'm sorry. It's, okay. <laughs> it might be a little bit of the. It, was, it might have yeah. been just me though too. So. Okay. Well, we'll know with the playback. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some uh, some list of code, just random tags of list of code, just random places. Oh, you mean like vandalism? Vandalism. Oh. Yes. That's yes. the correct way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Graffiti tags. Okay, grubble. Um, they don't all have to say, per se, grubble, but just random. Okay, so I may or may not, you know, we can't confirm or deny this information, have done something similar to that already. It wasn't like straight vandalism because it was like stickers, but I left some grubble stickers whereabouts right. in New York City. But I can I can take it back to the roots. <laughs> Get some some spray paint. The question is, what color doth the grubble letters be left in? Hmm. Hmm. Now that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. Because should they be bold? Should they be black? Should we should we be moving out of the black? What if people into... think it's like a message from a cult? They'll be like, What is this language? <laughs> Why do I keep seeing these? symbols everywhere. everywhere right like you just some put of it, these are greek look, letters but i still don't get it put them by like you know the subway turnstile just you know just something where your your eyes just train to it or like in the subway cars where like there's random adverts for like skin you know care or whatever then there's just I mean, a random yes. sticker with i could give myself away if i'm like obey your thirst and grubble but i'll just i'll keep it to grubble for now <laughs> unless i'm feeling so inspired you know, you just see random people snapping photos. There's all this writing everywhere. And everyone's trying to figure out what it means. It's like, there's a code. Maybe we need to try to decode there's it. There's a code. Yeah. I'm oh, wondering. and did you, I don't think I showed you the meme we were sent. It was a Gruber meme on Twitter. Let me go I find just want to say that I appreciate how much that people just, they just know. They just know that it's. It is what it uh, is. La, 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 la. Brunhilda at Villanelle 2020. I love Made us you. a meme. <laughs> I say it's really for you as the author Hashtag of the Gruber. even our knees for Villanelle 2020. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yes, I, see, I love this already. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's also Eugenie in the back. <laughs> Eugenie's in the back. Like yes, getting animal. We retweeted it. Yes, Mm -hmm. for those of you following us on Twitter, you saw it. But shout out to Brunhilda. Thank you for making us our very first meme. Love it. I love it so much. And I feel like anyone who just watches the show, like they love it too. I also want to give a shout out to the listeners who wished me a happy birthday. It was my born day this past 27th, and some of y'all bitches remembered all my talk of grubbling on the 27th and how it coincided with my born day and so thank you for reaching out on the various platforms in which you did especially our patreons you guys are awesome so shall we get into the shits um yeah i've just i'm so curious as to what might have been left out in the director's cut versus like what was in the script for as this. usual it's kind of a lot these days Ugh, i'm gonna not like reliving where we're going um, I'm hoping that this is as dark as it gets, but I'm pretty sure if I remember ah. from last time that, oh, there's ways <sighs> to go. So, ah, fine. All right, so Let's- here we go with script breakdowns with Sally. Okay, so straight off the bat, it starts differently 
than what we see in the show. So you remember in this episode, we open up on the ends. Yes. And Anne is sleeping. And Walker is sleeping and Anne Lister is there. She's like, hey, boo. And Walker's like, how long you been here? What's, what's going on? So that that doesn't happen until like a couple scenes in. In the original script, as was posted by the BBC, it has the show opening up on Ainsworth and the Priestleys, which I was like, good call, because the less I see of Ainsworth, the, the better. And I would have been super annoyed to open up on Ainsworth, especially because in episode four, we open up on Eliza's hate ass. Yeah. And Aunt Ann Walker. And it's like, come on, give us something nice before we get to the bullshit. So it has apparently they originally had it shot or the idea to be shot. Who knows if they actually shot it and whether or not it was cut, but that we see Ainsworth arriving. And there are some notations made about him sort of putting on and remembering not to smile. And so surely uh, feigning his nonsense when it comes to his uh, wife. And of course, he. He steps out of the carriage and is like, no, this this isn't the right place. I, I was supposed to be sitting too. <laughs> I, well, I mean, Mr. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to see you, uh, Mr. Priestley. Thank you for, but I feel like I should be in the the other house. I, should said, um, <laughs> I thought I was going to stay with the women's. Right. <laughs> what happened? I'm a reverend. Everything's fine. No propriety will be lost. No. But yeah, so, and there's also a mention. Right. So in this first scene... There's some extra lines, including him getting out of, you know, the carriage and us seeing that. And it seems like half of a scene, the scene that was supposed to, or the conversation that was supposed to take place between Mr. and Mrs. Priestley and Ainsworth was cut off and sort of began in the show midway through. But one of the <laughs> the lines that were cut out that made me laugh because I was just like, wow. And... It's evidently the first line he has after Eliza is supposed to say, we were so saddened, Mr. Ainsworth, to hear about your wife's death. And Sally writes Ainsworth as replying and notes, remembers not to smile. The Lord gives and the Lord ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. Bitch! <laughs> I ain't even finishing your audience set. And it has in parentheses, he makes a vague, beautific gesture and speaks sadly. Does what he has to do. Like, what? Uh. What? What this they, means? They have this motherfucker delivering the line, the Lord giveth and the Lord does what he has to do, bitch. I don't know. Like, death happens every day, B. People dying every day. Shit that happens. sounds like someone who threw their own wife <laughs> out of the carriage. It sounds like a murderer. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm with you on that. I would agree. That's exactly what the fuck that sounds like. And so I was like, okay, Sally. There's also when we move out of this initial Ainsworth scene and we go into what is the actual opening scene in the final cut of the ends in Ann Walker's room, there's a note that they make that the pain that Ann Walker was feeling, you know, gestures to her abdomen. So theoretically period pain, potentially endometriosis, like we said, could be very viable for her. And it also says there's a slight difference in how the morning kiss happens. In the script, it has it one kiss happening on the lips just prior to Ann Lister saying she won. So you know she gives the whole thing about, oh, yes. oh me and Mrs. Parkhill, I won. And then there's the kiss. It's like me and Mrs. Parkhill kiss, and then I won. And they have a note afterwards that is funny, just because of all the talk of grubbles we do on this show. And it says, Anne's, for Ann Lister, is all for turning the kiss into a proper smooch and a quick grubble. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that Sally writes that word in. And Anne Walker goes along with it for an irresistible moment or two, but then puts a stop to it. She's troubled. And so Sally always making sure to note that Ann Walker's ever so thirsty, but at this stage, the thirstiness comes with troubled thoughts. What? 
word. My word. And what was interesting that I noticed, and at first I thought when I was first reading the script, um, it was a day ago that the line was taken away, but then I got later in the script, I'm like, oh, it's just rearranged. So you know how at the end of that scene that's in the final cut in the show that she's basically like, come on, once you get dressed, washed and dressed and come downstairs, you'll feel brighter and help yes. you out of the bed. So there's like a whole, there's like a whole, so that's not there is what I'm saying. And ah. where it appears, there's like a whole deleted scene of conversation and stuff between Ann Lister and Ann Walker. And while it gives some insight that could have been useful in the show, perhaps because I've read all these books now, I don't necessarily think it was altogether necessary and it could have been more crowded, but it was one of those things that you could tell, kind of like the Gruber, where Sally was just trying to pack a lot of the diary information into the show. That later on, upon review, she's probably like, okay, maybe for the pacing, this doesn't work out the way I thought it would work out. Right, so neither of those lines about her wanting to, or her getting out of bed, or her wanting to sick a coal pit, exist prior to the title sequence like we see it, but it comes after at the end of this dialogue. So I'll just read it out because it's pretty extensive. So it has interior Ann Walker's bedroom, Crow Nest, day. 1025, autumn, 1832. It resumes as before, perhaps not quite as intimate. So I presume this idea that they had just kissed. Ann Walker hasn't left the bed, but not as intimate as they were before. So it has Ann Walker as saying, the thing is, the thing that troubles me is that I didn't put a stop to it. I allowed it to go on. I mean, I did say no to start with, and then I didn't. And now it seems unimaginable to me that I didn't. Except, I don't know, perhaps I was flattered. And Lister is written as replying, It's utterly clear to me, the way you describe it, that he took advantage of you. And now, look at you. You think you were complicit in it. And Walker replies, Yes, but perhaps I was. And Jaunty Anne replies, No, no, no. This is how men like him get away with it, playing on women's fears and doubts and with his wife in the next room. And Walker replies, I should have been stronger. I would have been a better friend to him if I'd been stronger. Girl! And, uh, and Lister's the same way. She's like, friend, good Lord, if I thought for a second this was a good match for you and that it would bring you happy, fulfilled life, I would say so. Despite what's passed between us and at the expense of my own happiness, I would say so. But the reality is that he's an adulterer. And if he'll do it behind one wife's back, he'll do it behind another's. Okay. He's a rogue. He's an opportunist. Either that or he's weak and stupid. Which kind of man would you prefer? Ooh. And Walker replies, you think I've been gullible? And Ann Lister says, I think you've been lonely. And in the parentheses it says, she lets that land. Her tone is fair, clear, firm. And she continues, and now you blame yourself unfairly. And so you judge yourself unfairly. The judgment will be on him, so no, I won't undertake to not say anything to Mr. Ainsworth. I won't compromise or humiliate you, but I won't undertake not to say something to him. Parentheses, it says, she gives a moment to let that sink in, too. Then she adds casually, tenderly, why don't you get washed and dressed and come downstairs? You'll feel brighter. And the script notes say that Anne Walker acquiesces but remains troubled. She gets up and goes over to her washstand and pours water into the bowl to wash and Ann Lister gazes at her vulnerable form. So, and then of course we get the line, oh, I was gonna ask you if I could borrow some money, not too much, I just wanna sink a pit. <laughs> and so that's where we, we go there. And so that's a, it's a quite a, dip, a bit more exposition that we've had. I mean, we already had a, a bit of exposition where Ainsworth is concerned, but this is um, a great deal more. Uh, yes, 
What are your thoughts on it? Uh, I like how uh, she's not afraid to challenge the thoughts that are already sitting inside of and Walker's head. But it's like, um, it's not to make her like, it's, she's trying to get her out of the funk that she's in, but she's also like, wait, how did you get here? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, why with these words that you're using? You may have been a friend too. Mrs. Ainsworth, but you were never <laughs> a friend of Mr. Ainsworth. Now, I don't want you to ever feel like you are obligated to be a friend to Mr. Ainsworth. Your friend is gone. He's uh, staying in your life. Mm. He can go. Yeah. I think I'm glad they cut it out. Sometimes it's a, it's a little too much to have too much exposition. I mean, and, and then, part of this is a little repeaty, but also yeah. I like the fact that they didn't have this type of discussion right before she asked for money. Right. That would have made me uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah. She was like, like, okay, listen, this is what I'm going to tell you to do because it's what you need to do for Ainsworth. Also, I need some money. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, no, and what about timing? What about tact, bitch? That ain't it. And so who knows ultimately why they deleted that or just didn't include in the final cut. But I I liked it. I liked the way the scenes were rearranged. Yes, I too. I like. Uh, then after the title card, we get our first look at Mr. Ainsworth. Uh, I don't know. God. If they, I don't yes. know if they've changed anything there, but well, because the scene that we start out with with a uh, with him and Eliza and her husband, well, what we get after this moment is what starts in the script. So it's kind of like a switcheroo. Okay. Because the scene opens up on Ainsworth arriving to the priestly, being like, "Oh, what a nice abode," and then having some small talk that we quickly went over that includes like. Oh, the Lord giveth and the Lord does what he has to do. I still can't believe that is Sally a wrote that line. line. She was like, let me take that line out because, well, nobody have any sympathy for Ainsworth. And I don't think anyone has sympathy for Ainsworth anyway because we shouldn't. But that line is ridiculous. I'd be like, this bitch don't even know the scripture. Right. See? That's what That's what really would have so had me sugar. We dealing with funny doctors. <laughs> Dr. Kenny-ass doctors. And what were these, like, Lonnie Love uh, oh. reference? <laughs> Lonnie Love oh, clergyman? Man. Oh, my I, God. You know what I just thought of? Um, what's the reverend character that John Hamm plays on Kimmy Schmidt? No. No. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, but, yeah, that's, I was angry. He's like, praise Jeepers and his disciples. <laughs> I, I it's like a it's like a ridiculous satire on religious leaders heavy quotations remember like and i feel like maybe they have to still be out there like we just don't know about them because maybe they're being more clever but remember in the 90s and the 80s too i mean we really couldn't remember that my mom talks about it but like especially in the 90s like cults were everywhere yeah, cults were, were all the rage man every they throw were. a stone you find a fucking cult and i'm like are the cults on the ground although we did that girl was just totally convicted remember from smallville along with the other oh, girl yeah. from fucking Battlestar galactica and that Yikes. damn x triple x whatever cult that was wasn't it local to us or was it la i feel like she was tried over here though she was tried over here she but i believe it was la it was in la right yeah i don't know man but i'm just like where the cults at i mean they're like you know let's drink this wine because this meteor's coming we all gotta <laughs> hitch a ride and i'm like yeah i need a grubble cult but yeah so that was ridiculous. In these notes where we see Ainsworth talking to the priestly, she just makes notes about him having crocodile tears and that he's said enough to get his point across in terms of these hints that like, oh, me and my wife, you know, we used to make these jokes, you know, <laughs> that maybe one day Ann Walker could like be a replacement wife, which just the whole notion of <laughs> you know, it but is I just grotesque. wonder if, if what she meant by that, you know, even though it's only in chess, was that, you know, I would find comfort. <laughs> I'm like, ew. Ew. 
And I think there's an added line after Eliza says that it would be no intrusion for him to pop in. Right. She has Ainsworth as delivering an additional line where he says, I might even deliver the package myself, given that we're so close, a spot of fresh air. Yeah. And we definitely don't see that. He just we appears don't. at the door. Which, yeah. le- again, less words coming out of his mouth are the better. Right. These are some great edits. Less Ainsworth. I'm all about it. So it was an interesting note in the script about fucking Harriet Parkhill being at Anne's place was that evidently she was like studying botany or biology. Like, Oh, that explains all those portraits of. Was it, were they of leaves and plants? Uh, I didn't yeah, even, I, I wasn't paying say, attention. Yeah. But yeah, so the script says that botany books are out when the scene opens up at Crow Nest. And then Harriet is sitting at the table copying a detailed scientific drawing of a plant. <laughs> and honestly, Harriet, I feel like, is at least supposed to be near Ann Walker's age. I mean, I don't know why she's supposed to be so innocent and frail if she's at least 28, 29. But that reminded me of like when I was in sixth grade proper. And I was in one of my, probably one of my favorite experimental schools in the city because learning science required sketching. Like we would go to Central Park and they'd be like, fine, these plants, sketch them. Like, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So apparently that's what Ms. Parkhill is doing. And evidently Anne is giving her a proper botany lesson, which is why they're talking about Cuvier. Oh, yeah. And then she goes on the tangent about uh, uh, he's holding off of God's theory of evolution to pursue the scientific aspect and version of it. Okay. Right. And so at the in the final cut that we see that aired, the scene ends with certainly a dialogue of Harriet saying, oh, didn't he think you were extraordinary talking about Cuvier? And in the script, it has Anne Lister replying as, Cuvier thinks everyone's extraordinary. He thinks the whole of life is extraordinary. And that is not in the final, in the final cut. And before I even go into this, because there's a flashback that was a whole long flashback. I'm sorry. With dialogue. There was an, I was there to study anatomy kind of a flashback. No, no, don't get your oh. hopes up. That's, oh. it was not a grubble flashback. It's a Cuvier flashback. Oh, Because oh, that's oh. what we're talking about. Okay. Oh. Um, but before I read that flashback, it does make a note that Ann Walker is gazing at Ann Lister. That she finds Ann Lister mesmerizing when she talks about stuff like this. And that Miss Parkhill is clearly engaged by it too. Yeah, I, that definitely reads... Right. She's and like, oh. Yo, it reads. Just talk. She's like, She's my pet coat. <laughs> all through. <laughs> oh. And so in the script, after this scene, it says we flip to Interior Lecture Theater, Paris, day. Flashback. Number eight. March 1829. And it says 38-year-old eager Anne Lister has grabbed George Cuvier at the end of a lecture. And it has Anne Lister. It's in French. It'll be silly for me to read both. So I'm just going to read what's in English. So it has Ann Lister saying is, I'll sit at the back. I'll be quiet. I won't ask any questions. Well, I might do afterwards if that's. And the script note says, George Cuvier takes an Ann Lister's unusual appearance and decides he likes her. He can see how clever and determined she is. In parentheses, she's looking particularly disheveled and unladylike and intense. Uh-huh. I mean, that sounds like that's the version of hot Ann Lister, but all right. Right. It's not like she was uh, hotter than usual. Did she Lister leave a body with... class to do right? this? Like or... she... Was she pulling up shrouds before what she, she came in? Man's work? I'm into it. And so they have George Cuvier saying, do you have any particular areas of interest, miss? And she replies, the fair sex. Um, <laughs> yes. 
And she also says, Lister, and giving her name, yes, the human brain. The script note says, this delights Cuvier. He likes the human brain too. Well, all right. And then he replies, ah. And Ann Lister says, mine specifically, I want to understand myself better. Ooh. And he replies, don't we all? Why though? You. And she replies, well, look at me. What am I? You can see I'm neither a man nor a woman. I'm neither fish nor fowl. And George Cuvier responds, you are an hermaphrodite? Ooh. Well, it's probably good they left. It's probably good they left. They left this on the cutting room floor. And Lister replies, no, not no. No external formation accounts for it. And he asks, you menstruate? And she replies, regularly. He then asks, but you think like a man. You feel like a man. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's going to get devilish laugh from me. You think like a man. What the fuck that mean? I'm a misandrist though, because I'm like, toxic masculinity, that's not a compliment to think like a man. It's really not. It's really not. And the correlation of strength or responsibility with the manhood is really, really super annoying and also incorrect. A lot incorrect. But I know Cuvier is supposed to be super intelligent, so we'll just, we'll, 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 we'll move on. So Anne continues responding, nodding, and the note says that she says without self-pity, So then, being neither one thing nor the other, I feel like Rousseau, a thing worse than nothing. Oh. That's no, that's no, that's why, would, why, why are these lines? I'm happy that these some of this didn't make it. Because, I'm glad um, the whole thing didn't make it, quite I'm frankly. It's your best no, excuse? and it would have been such a, a like an, an intense change, right? That's from the vibe, a record stop. Yeah. Like this, this, this shitty flashback belongs in later in the episode with Park Hill, it could fit in with like the doom and gloom that we had going on there. So, after this line of you know, a thing worse than nothing. The script note says that Cuvier takes that in. He feels sorry for this woman who doesn't feel sorry for herself. He also likes a woman who reads Rousseau. He has an ebullient response. And his response is, you don't need to sit at the back. Sit wherever you like and ask as many questions as you need to. Uh -huh. And Lister replies, really? And he says, you're perfect. You're interesting. You think you need to get hold of a head, a human head. If you're serious, this term, we dissect the brain. <laughs> That's well, everything she needed. That's everything right. she needed. And so then the script notes that we are then cutting immediately back to Crow Nest, present day in the library, where Harriet Parkhill's like, you didn't. And the script says that Anne Lister is just about to say that she did, but baby gay Anne beats her to it because she's so proud of her. And I was like, well, well, well. What I liked about the script note is that it kind of says, or it kind of confirms what I was feeling like the vibe was that we mentioned in the review episode, which was that whatever the fuck Anne was talking about, Anne Lister was talking about, our baby gay Anne Walker had heard it or was right. similarly interested uh -huh. or loved the story. She's like, I love when you talk about yes. these things, babe. This, this is, is my, my favorite. favorite part. It's my favorite. Yes. This is my favorite part. And so it has Ann Walker as saying, she did. She carried it back to her attic apartment on the left bank in a sack. And Ann Lister, you know, because it, it kind of has it as they're kind of finishing the same sentence together. And has Ann Lister saying, burned all the hair off because it was teeming with lice. That's hmm. uh, gross. I know. And then Ann Walker finishes and then dissected it. <laughs> Enthusiastically. And I'm just sort of like, okay, are we supposed to maybe take from this that right after Ann Lister was talking about dissecting a baby, all weird as shit, on like her first informal date with Ann Walker, that they segued in that, oh, good, good Lord, it's been four hours. How did that happen? <laughs> Were you also talking about a brain, Ann yes. Lister? Did you say, okay, not just the baby, started with the baby, or I didn't start with the baby, started with the brain? Because I feel like you start with a brain over a baby. 
right? Like, I feel like the sliding hope, scale. Right. I mean, I just, I mean, both. You would need the adult size thing to kind of know what's where. And then you get to see how it looks preformed. Either way, the brain is pretty gross to look at. It like, it's not is. elegant. Yeah. You know, the brain by design is super elegant. But the brain, in terms of what it looks like, is pretty, um, pretty basic. Yeah. So it ends by saying, Harriet looks from Ann Lister to Ann Walker and back again. Did she really do that? And then the doorbell rings. Ann and Ann freeze and consult one another with a look. And we know who that is. It's Ainsworth. So super interesting scene that we had a deleted Covier flashback. I don't mind that it was cut, but it's good to know that that's where it was. And then we just have that little side confirmation of additional cute couple stuff happening with Ann and Ann. There's not much to note about what she writes about the first exchange of letters with Ainsworth, except that Ann Walker's reply was both brusque and clear. But Harriet found it mean because, well, his wife just died after all. Harriet! Give the program, bitch. <sighs> we not feeling sorry for Ainsworth? I just... I, I just want to, like... We know why he's here. It has nothing to do with anyone else other than, you know, the council. So why mm. is he so pressed to demand, insist upon the audience? Seriously. I think you'll like this note about James because we made some jokes about James being put into a, a shitty ass position oh, right. by like, Ainsworth. Look at you over here and me yelled at. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> I have never ever been yelled at by Ann Walker and you have now created the first ever situation. Well, as you have confirmed yourself, she is not taking guests right now. So you can just get off of the property post haste. Exactly. But and the note that... Um, the script says, "Did you did, were you sure to tell her that it was Reverend Thomas Ainsworth?" Yes, I, I did, sir. Yeah, bye, bye, sir. It has the whole entire note of this uh, optimistic of being admitted. Mister Ainsworth has ventured to step inside the hallway and have a look around, and we definitely didn't like that assumption, presumption that he was making there. Perhaps we glimpse him as Anne's voice, Anne Walker, in the above scene becomes more animated, and it disturbs him. Why is she being like this? James emerges from the drawing room and, being ex-military, marches purposefully towards Mr. Ainsworth in a manner that makes Mr. Ainsworth scuttle neatly back towards the front door. James is firm and clear. And so I like that because we got that energy from James. We he was like, sure bitch, did. you need to get the fuck out. We sure did. Is this I, I military like background mm. that gives him the extra oomph, I guess? I mean... Ugh. Okay. You request an audience from the outside next time. That was that was a lot. That was a lot. You already knew she was ill. You said yourself that she was ill and not accepting visitors. Just everything everything about the way he was like, let me just insert myself into this place that I've been But that's before. how he's been this entire time with her life. Let me just forcefully insert myself. Let me just do this, even though you very clearly don't want it. Let me keep going as far as I can until someone else stops me. Probably a dude. And in this case, it was James to be like, hey, bro, you got to go now. Right. Nothing else really to note from the script before we get to the first sex scene of the episode or post grubble scene, except that we get confirmation that the ointment she's rubbing on her back is indeed from Dr. Day. But the sacrament scene, which is the, the romance scene that we get, the first one this episode where Ann Lister asks Ann Walker to take the sacrament with her and make a more solemn tie, that it, the intro reads is very different to what we actually saw in the show they were it's kind of similar to what happened last time and i wonder if uh this has something to do with 
a thing I heard in one of the interviews with Saran Jones and Sally Wainwright where they were talking about using the the sex consultant and at first being caught up in like, you know, making salacious scenes, but then changing lanes and saying, well, it doesn't have to be all about salacious sex or or something titillating. I'm not sure if they use that word, but that they essentially implied that they pulled back to some degree. And considering what I'm reading right now, well, you know, I mean, think about what we read in the last script, you know, about the the wet through night things. Oh, oh, yeah. And so, yes. Okay. It doesn't change the level of love we're supposed to feel in the scene, but it does change the level of like sensuality versus when you see wet skin and you don't. And so that's what I mean. Like I don't, and I mean, this is something that's interesting because I was actually talking to a friend about this because I'm like, I understand why people are careful of drawing a line because of the long history of exploitation of women and women's bodies, particularly when it comes to lesbians or lesbian couples or the concept of two lesbians having a sexual relationship that one ought to endeavor to be careful when shooting these things, especially when so many assholes have shot wrong things. But generally those assholes are dudes. And so I'm wondering what you think about this, uh, this concept of preemptive... I don't necessarily want to use censoring, but it's right, like but it's, it's, it's it's akin to that. It's like it's like oh, we gave to too much last time. We need to. I, I won't even say last time. I think it's something that it, in my personal opinion, I feel like this conversation more often comes up when it comes to queer content in particular. Well, yeah, because there's a whole bunch of head content out there where they're doing all kinds of sex scenes, all kind of freaky shit, Fifty Shades of what the fuck. I don't ever want to see that again, but it's out there. It is out there, Terrence. And so what I'm saying is, is that while I understand that important questions must be asked of people making queer content, especially it involves two women having a sex scene, we don't need blue warmest color again. We don't need other bad situations. But again, I say men directors make a difference, especially if they're not queer. And two, we're like, it's kind of what we were saying before when we were talking about the things we've we've heard and read about Killing Eve and when fans were reacting to that that article of like, oh, we were doing this, but then we pulled back a little. Yeah. Like what is like where 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 is where is that line? Where does it exist between this is too titillating versus the queers that are like, titillate the shit out of us because we don't get proper titillation. Titillation not for the exploitation of a man's Thank fantasy, right. but something that's appropriate and accurate to the to the queer story well it's again it's them going off the deep end and then pulling back once they feel that the male gaze will taint this art and it's like well let's but if it's not a man doing it and it's sally and all these other women why does the male i mean that's what we said before like how does the male gaze have a place when there's no men gazing right that's the that's the forever issue that's the forever issue. That's what, unfortunately, we're seeing here. We're seeing it across all other memes. We said Killing Eve. Even I'm caught up with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, a new character. Oh, they're they're queer. Oh, their their lover is dead before they even are the first on the scene ever. So we don't ever have to worry about them doing anything lovingly on screen with their lover because their lover's already dead. Oh, wonderful. So they're, what, now a harmless gay? They're... They're the harmless queer that won't accidentally throw their queer in the face of the I mean, that's usually how we get done to the TV shows, that if there is a queer character, you hardly ever see them or their lover, if they exist or they're single. It's... And it's not... I mean, that's just something that I've noticed for myself or just as a as an audience goer, spectator, that I find very interesting because it's I don't see the same type of nuances of care and concern of salaciousness or something that might be sordid yeah. um, or taboo. 
as a sex scene. I don't see people having these kinds of discussions about het sex scenes, but it always happens around gay sex scenes where when they're being talked about the, when they're talking about it, they're like, well, we wanted to be, we wanted to make sure that we, you know, it wasn't just about the sex. And it's like, okay, it should never just be about the sex, but isn't it also about the sex. I mean, we heard the sex ed teacher, 93 percentile does not come from just stroking oh, a bitch cheek okay. and stroking a bitch shoulder. It comes from... <laughs> Is it, it is, it, sex, is it because sexual pe- people desire. don't want to be put to shame? Is there a fear I'm just, that there's a lack of this chemistry that's going to be between these two queer characters that have it for each other? They have it for each other. They test it well on screen alongside one another. They have the chemistry. I think, Let them do the thing. Yes. And potentially, I think this knee-jerk reaction is something that happens when hets are oversensitive about how to make queer contact. And it's better to be sensitive than not, but just sort of like preemptively like, well, I don't want to be seen this way. So let me not look like I'm exploiting something visually. So, okay. Um, Well, let me just get into the deleted scene before I go any further into this idea. But it says, okay, enter upstairs landing Cronus night. We creep slowly along the upstairs landing illuminated only by moonlight. A clock strikes two. We discover Anne and Anne making love, terrified of oh. making more noise than they should in the last throes of delight. So we definitely get nothing of that energy That's when we come in. It's completely gone. deleted. It so doesn't gone. exist. It continues with actual lines. And so Anne Lister is like, shh. She says, shh. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get any of this. So she says, shush. And it has, they stifle giggles and catch their breath. And settle down into one another's arms, and then their breathing is calmer. And Lister continues, I've been thinking for a while now that this, without any more formal tie between us, is just as wrong as any other casual connection. Okay. And so we get into there. To me, the scene opens real sweet, but there's no indication that they was giggling or trying to be right. quiet for or James sh- or whoever, whatever ladies made that we've not met in the show. Because Ann Walker definitely has one. We just don't know who that bitch is Why or who's doing the stuff. The male gaze. <laughs> we, have to, we have to be quiet. I'm mad you said the, the male, male gaze. The male gaze could be listening. <laughs> oh, excuse me. We and don't so, want the male gaze finding us, grumbling and having a good time. You know what? I'm so sick of the male gaze. The male gaze is why there was no lube in Brokeback Mountain. Yikes. And yes. When and everybody yes. knows. Everybody knows. Well, maybe not everybody, but everybody should know. Like, that's, but that's unacceptable no. behavior. Wow. Who does that? It's, and why would you traumatize a gay for their first supposed time? To be ro- it's not. Why would you do that? That's not what romance is. That's not is. what happens. That's you need like, more spit than that. It was just a lot wrong. That's like, that's... <laughs> that was just a lot wrong. No, it was like that other movie I watched, the other Endless where I watched, where they had Endless or get into the grubbles in 2.5 seconds. And I was like, how rude. How rude. That's not, like, there's a warm-up cycle, man. Yes. I wonder if the forekiss that we talked about, like, double hand or face kiss, hand kiss, nose boop, Eskimo kiss and stuff, is essentially improvised by Serene Jones and Sophie Rondell because it's not in the script. When the scene ends, it's just sort of like they gaze at one another in the moonlight and then they kiss. And so I feel like that stuff actors do in the moment as they fill it because it doesn't specify what kind of kiss it is. And certainly you can, you can be that detailed as a writer, but yeah, it must be another one of those cool things. When we do get to the scenes about Ainsworth, there are notes made that his primary fear with Ann Lister is being discovered. (laughs) He's been found out that he's a charlatan and a wretch and a scourge. And he's afraid for his reverend reputation. Go with that feeling. You're a big fat phony. 
<laughs> it does also make a note that Eliza evidently does her best not to appear frosty to Ann Lister when she comes over to see about intimidating Ainsworth, but she doesn't want to be polite in front of oh, in front of the reverend. I feel like that read strongly, mostly because she didn't have her sitting in the sitting room waiting for them while they were eating. The way she decided to say, uh, would you like us to have uh, someone pour tea for you? <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 I'm, I can't stay. I can't stop. I'm here on business. And she's like, you need a favor, a favor of me. Like what, what, what makes you think that we're familiar that you can ask me of a favor? Yes, you're in my house, but it's mostly because I'm nosy and I'm obviously entertaining. So I just want you to see that. Right. And the script does make a note that, you know, from Mrs. Priestley's perspective, she was like a favor, bitch. How dare you? Like <laughs> right. I just see you on the grubbles, but that because it's crouched in charity. For Henry, that, well, you know, priests can't be out here looking like bitches and bastards. In front of the Reverend, no less. Not when Christopher <laughs> Rawson is out here hitting children in the face with pence. Okay. He can't not do charity. Even the Rawsons do a little whack-ass charity. What? I ran over. What? what one of y'all is missing a leg, right? One of y'all little... One of y'all. I just... This, this is for the leg. <laughs> All right. I am so glad you mentioned that because they got bitches in the script being as shady as you were about Henry's leg. Where I was like, wow. You're going straight to hell right with Ainsworth for what you said. And so there, so there's a line from Mrs. Priestley that might as well have been you about Henry, where she's like, well, how will he get there? <laughs> it's wrong. It's repugnant. I can't believe this. Sally, you knew to delete this slide. It's rude. It's so fucking rude. It is rude. But how? <laughs> <laughs> mm. He might make there. something of himself. Uh, mm. <laughs> I gotta find the exact line. Uh, <laughs> so the so the dialogue is um, it basically has Ann Lister saying, you know, I haven't mentioned this school business to the Hardcastles, and Eliza Priestley is written as reluctant to commit, but she has no choice, and says, I imagine we can sort something out, and. They have William Priestley interrupting as, well, who are you talking about? Because we know that he was like, what? And who are you talking about with the crime business? And they have Eliza saying, well, how will he get there? And Lister replies, on the wings of a sincere desire for knowledge. Okay. Bitch! What? <laughs> on the wings of a sincere desire for knowledge. Oof. And in the parentheses, it says, she hoped to raise a smile there with her flowery <laughs> rhetoric. <laughs> Fat chance! It, but then it says Fat Chance. It says she's out here trying to get a smile from Mrs. Priestley. But Fat Chance, Anne, not working. And then it has Ann Lister adding, he's got some crushes his father made. So there you are, Terrence. There's your answer. He's got Eliza, some here's your answer. He got some fucking crushes his, his daddy made. made. Ooh, it's a good thing he was waiting for Thomas to whittle some crutches because um, that would have <laughs> took a while. I don't know. Thomas seems like he's pretty... Actually, no. He was taking a little while carving that soldier the yeah. other day. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting because it doesn't exactly come across in the show is that when we get to some additional notes about Ainsworth and Anne, and it makes a note that Anne is significantly taller than Ainsworth, which is interesting because we thought Anne was shot to be taller, but she's not actually taller. Well, I mean, even if they're the same height or she's an inch taller, it's not significant. But in the right. script, it has her being as significantly taller than Ainsworth, like for a more domineering shot than what we saw, although I think it comes off very effectively that she's toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ainsworth. Do you think it would have made much of a difference if Ainsworth was much shorter? I liked 
the playing of it where she can then tower over him to say hi i'm standing on very firm ground when i let you know that if you choose to accept this offer that it's a terrible idea (laughs) and there's no way to really sprinkle that intimidation in without their playing with the heights of the two of them like it needed to be done a shorter Ainsworth I wouldn't I would hesitate to think of how then he would be shaped like a Rawson and then I don't want to think of someone who I don't want to think of anyone doing anything <laughs> like that to a walker but to, right. for me to think that a, a Rawson like that that build, oh, just like the build was doing that build. to walker Ooh. that's just any it's, builds. it's right it's all the builds it gets into like weird troll territory and i don't i don't want that like no just now all of, all of the now and watching him try to join after miss lista was hilarity hilarity and her looking for the way to escape the conversation that she needed to happen <laughs> uh she did that giant away where it was like uh when are you leaving right <laughs> Words. first question when are you leaving bitch yes and they have notes that and Lister clearly thinks he is evil because of what she says about not seeing you in this world or the next. Oh, uh, okay. And it <laughs> writes, right? I mean, straight to the point. And it says that she lets that sink in. He's evil and he's going to hell. This does appear to have a huge impact on Ainsworth. At length, he starts to nod acquiescence. But it's clearly painful to him. Oh, well, bitch. Too bad, bitch. Well, it, Truth maybe, hurts. Maybe that attributes to why he looks so disheveled at the priestlies when they're like, well, how did your meeting go? <laughs> uh, I think I tanked it. <laughs> oh, man. There are script notes later on that shows that Mr. Priestley is annoyed as fuck that he tanked that interview. He's like, bitch, I vouch for you. I vouch for you, you fucking hell. Damn. Uh, I mean, well, Mr. Priestley did look like he wanted uh mr ainsworth focused where it's like stop being sad about listen okay he's like women, can we forget about and walker right, for a second right. forget that that to the side but you know this forget this meeting it. with the trustees are you going this to be important fine? uh-huh he's like no i'm not not gonna go be fine it was we, confirmed he said, we can postpone if you need <laughs> he was like no no no. let's get it done today let's get it done today it's fine you know he tanked the shit out of that meeting embarrassingly so like mr priest is like how am i gonna show up to the to church Tomorrow, after you embarrass me like this. It's also confirmed that, remember we were, we were curious about what kind of water Baby Booth, a.k.a. Joseph Booth, was carrying? Oh, yes. It was wastewater. I had a feeling. It, it was the wastewater. Way it splashed on the floor. For oh, the, and his, his Sunday best. That was sh- a... Oh, uh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. Mm. Also a note basically saying that, accordingly, we shooketh. When Anne came through Shipton, it was like, I need to speak to you later. <laughs> she was she like, like, oh, um, well, that, don't, that sounds like I'm in trouble. That doesn't sound, that right, sound good right. at all. And then, of course, you know, Marion's like, um, well, uh, Mr. Abu will be coming over for tea tomorrow. <laughs> well, you'll be around. Oh, what time is he coming? Four o'clock. No, no, no. I won't. <laughs> Sorry. And the script does make a mention of when we talked about Anne and Christopher Rawson passing each other in Halifax. That yes. they do see each other and they intentionally uh, and purposefully shame. ignore. They shade yes. each other. They're like, fuck you. She's fuck like, you too, I'm bitch. here for my note so that I can get my ring for my woman. Okay, because... Uh, that's all. That's what I'm here for. Are you here to pay for the sins of your uh, guilty, wretched heart? Uh, couldn't help but notice that you chose to uh, uh, stand me up because you had seven days to get back to me about the upper beds. Right. You chose not to do it. It is now going to be up for grabs in a fortnight. We're going to be uh, advertising, bidding. We're going to, it's bidding. This is what they're doing. They're bidding for the bed so that right. someone can kind of 
Yes. Buy into. Buy into it and Lita Ralston's behind. Yes. The one thing I was going to note from the Harriet Park Hill and Ann Walker scene where Harriet is trying to push the het marriage because I guess that's just what we do in a Halifax. A clergyman. A clergyman. <laughs> I mean, his wife just died, but like, you know. But she's still like above the ground. Like. <laughs> they don't care. They're like, it's a man and he's in the clergy. And What's I'm wrong not with you? like the sibling of this like. You know how, like, sometimes when there's a, a man who's died, like, they help, try to have, like, the brother wed her to be, like... Oh, ew. It's gross, but it happens. No, you're right. It's um, That's why I said women throughout history just a lot. That's why I would have been a witch. Or someone okay. doing the magic spells. Like, what you doing over there? Catching revenge for all the <laughs> misogyny and sexism running rampant, if you don't mind. I'm in the woods, up to no good. There is a cute note, although it's kind of bittersweet about Ann Walker delicately confessing her love for Ann Lister and Harriet Parkhill asking her who she's talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. The note for Ann Walker says that she has no other response than sad head shaking, although maybe we can see the delight in her eyes too, the delight of being in love and the sadness of it being someone you can't name. Just then a tap of the door, James <sighs> comes in. And I'm just <sighs> like, oh, that's really, really sad. <laughs> the way you put it that way, like it's sweet. Because she's in love, but it's sad because it's someone she can't name. It's something right. that she it's, can't it's like, yeah. boast about and be as annoying as all the heads love to be when they are in love. It's like finding something funny, but it's like terrible and super problematic. And it's like, well, I can't. You have to. Yeah, I just can't. But, you know, I just have a thing. I have a thing and I don't need a clergyman. I have my thing and it makes me it keeps me. Ninety-three percent of the time, it keeps me. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm ninety-three percent going to keep repeating that statistic. That's a winning percentage. It is a winning percentage. It's a high on life percentage. There was a a wording that Sally used to describe Harriet's lost innocence in relation to Eliza detailing the grubbles, and I'm like, really, really, her innocence is gone. Is Harriet too? Is Harriet 12? Harriet looks like she's Ann Walker's age. But she is now frightfully she's afraid. She is so innocent. She went from wearing bright, colorful, colorful dresses to this plain looking print. This. <laughs> Like she was stripped. She was stripped of all the. I can't believe I found it fascinating. It like <laughs> everything was just oh taken from her. It says like, uh, and this is after Eliza is trying to shade Anne, and she's like, "Well, you know, you've heard of Miss Lister, right? You know, well, she's a natural." And the script says Harriet doesn't get it, and she says to Eliza, "I know she studied science under Monsieur Covier in Paris." And Eliza's like, "No, no, no, no." Not that. And the notes under that are guileless. Harriet still doesn't get it, but she will in a moment. In a moment, all will be explained and her years of naive innocence will be gone and lost forever. And why why this is both hilarious and ridiculous to me is because we still don't know what these heads say in private. All is explained. But what is explained? Catherine didn't do any explaining. So I'm not convinced that there's that there's stuff being explained appropriately here. All I'm pretty sure this is this room is that uh Unless the bites <laughs> and walk while she's sleeping, and that's what's making her back hurt. That's what's what <laughs> like. I'm she's she's a cannibal, and she's slowly eating Ann Walker bit yes. by bit. Yes. You see the sleeves; it hides the wounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, there is a note made quickly about Thomas and his mama. 
that he can't believe that his mom is going along with the murder story. And I'm like, but did you see how your daddy treated your mama? I would hope so. I would hope she wouldn't sell you out like that. And also, you're no. the bread earner. What's she going to do without you uh, around? Okay. Put all, the, around. Right. Like, put all I, the work on a little baby? Nah. I, I, at least I, we nah. would hope not. Right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And there is a note to say that when um, Mr. Priestley and Ainsworth return from the clergy conference, that Mr. Priestley is very embarrassed. He is altogether done <laughs> with Ainsworth, Ooh. who clearly made him look like shit in front of his clergy Ooh. people. He was like, okay, you're leaving Halifax, but I have to live here, buddy. I'm going to hear about this shit for months. Right. Thanks a lot. Here's Miss Priestley. Oh, we, we hope this will be the last time that we see you. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. And the note around that line is Eliza must persuade him to stay interested in Anne. Your desperation is unbecoming, Mrs. Priestley. Unbecoming. Well, you know, she's broken in for less reasons. Lord. There is a note that after Mrs. Priestley has brought the grubble, the grubble news of doom to Park Hill, that when Ann Walker comes in, Harriet now regards her almost like an alien species. Mm. Has well. she had sex? <laughs> Has she? Girl, did you see that smile? Yes. Yes, she has <laughs> had the grubbles. <laughs> and in parentheses, it has, which is scary enough anyway. With another woman? Uh, what yeah. is she? So that's on that priestly shit, the what is she nonsense. What is she? Well, she knows how to wake up the invalids. I'll give her that. So moving on from Harriet being scarred by tales of grubbles. Sex with another person. Sex, sex period, let alone with a woman. Good Lord. I feel like if the right person would have told her that, she'd have been like, Okay, if the right person would have told the story. It's all about how you tell a story. Right, exactly. See, it's perspective. Glass half full, glass half empty. Grubbles are evil or are they divine? A gift from above. The latter. So evidently there was also another deleted scene with Eugenie. Uh-huh. I know. Because we haven't really seen or heard much to do with Eugenie since her miscarriage. But it's in there. And huh. apparently it has to do with her flirting with someone. And if you had to guess well, who they have this bitch flirting with, they cut out the script. Who would you say? Wait. Did you say flirting? She flirting. Well, the only person she can communicate with. Why you act like in the show they said president for flirting via speaking the same language? Because... Uh. You know, you're right. Unless you're about to say that you're shipping Courtney and Eugenie, which I'm not against that ship. I could get behind that ship. I'm just saying that Courtney is the only person we know of besides Anne that speaks a lick of French in Eugenie's immediate circle of who um, can I date? Yeah. Um, uh, don't tell me it's young Mr. Booth. Baby Booth? I'm just no, gonna, okay. No, thank no, God. It's, not baby booth. Um, it's too early in the episode to say it's Mr. Abbott, even though that's a gross. Mr. Abbott, listen. Sorry, it's gross, Sorry. but it's too right. It's too early in the episode to bring up Mr. Abbott. Uh, if well, then this is Jeannie making her way to deliver way the downtown. bag, the overnight bag. Okay, so then who do you think she's flirting with? Well, if that's what you think. If, if then it, have, it would have to be have, it would have to be someone at Crow's Nest. Well, bitch, give a name, damn. Um, you gotta say some. And was this? Uh, you know the 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 guy that got almost got in trouble. Um, uh, it's on the tip of your tongue. Yes, I'm gonna let it you is. work for it. No, <laughs> no you're like don't make me whack It's whack-hot. not a booze. James. Yes, James. Thank you. Well, ding, 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 ding. Yes, she's flirting with James in this deleted scene. 
And yes, it has to do with James bringing a note for Miss Lister. And I suppose that in general, considering how frequently these bitches be sending notes, like sometimes two, three a day, that realistically you could theoretically start a romance if you were one of those foot servants uh-huh. just making trips and, you, and like it was your third time of the day and you're like, hey, I got another letter. <laughs> I know. I know. They've been writing each other all day. Must be urgent stuff. How are you doing? <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's kind of in one of those situations where it says, briskly, Eugenie answers the door. And suddenly there's this really very good looking Highlander looking down at her. And I'm like, okay, slow down on James. But I'm probably just being a bitch. But they're like, okay, he's good looking. He's looking down on her. And James McKenzie says, good evening again, miss. And Eugene replies, bonjour, good evening. And James adds, there's a note from Miss Lister from Miss Walker. And the script says Eugenie takes it. And there's a bit of smoldering frisson between the two of them. And then it has in parentheses, largely coming from Eugenie. And suddenly we get a glimpse of how it might have been when Eugenie pulled George Playforth all those months ago in Hastings. Now, the only thing I'll say I have with this wording is that they make it seem like Eugenie has to try hard to pull any man. That she had to put a lot of effort to pull George or to pull James, which I feel like a couple blanky blanks would do the trick. A couple blanky blanks do the trick right now. And there's Pornhub. So so you mean to tell me a couple blanky blanks if James was fucking single wouldn't do it? A little piece of ankle? Look at this millimeter of my nape. Does it get you going, daddy? Love at first sight. (laughs) Yeah. Love at first sight of nape. What's interesting is that they have James going by and they have Eugenius going by, bye, <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs> so she has some nervous, some nervous buys. Look, this is the word that I know that you know, that we know together. So you know what I mean when I say it. So, yep. And as we round out towards the end here, there are notes that point out that Ann Lister, that while Ann Walker basically broke the engagement with this letter that Eugenie has gone from James to just now give to Anne that she essentially broke off the engagement, but it's confusing Anne Lister because she's still using terms of endearment, which is something that we saw in the diary entries that Anne Lister's like, I don't, I'm not sure. I think she still means to take me because how could she be on the grubbles and saying all these things, but then also saying these other things like she means to take Ainsworth or marry men. Why? I mean, it would be cute. No, I don't want to say that. Cute. I don't want to say that. You don't recall Maggie's. when Anne is leaving Crow Nest. So, the first time, when uh, this is, because she technically has to go back. We talk about when she's first getting the updates from everyone in the house, and we see that mess water and all that stuff. When she goes from Shibden back to Lightcliff, because it says that she bumps into Eliza Washington, which would be Washington's wife. And there's a note that she's starstruck whilst Anne, you know, briskly scales a wall. And that Anne barely notices her. Do you recall that? I can't. I for the saw life the wall scale, but I the didn't wall scale. See but no I don't remember else. seeing a woman. Was there like, a woman about? I've... Was she the camera view? Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess we can always. I mean, I re- I remember it where it is. It's that, but after this part, right or no? But I thought it was after. Oh wait, is this before the big fight? Yep, this is way before the big fight. The big fight doesn't happen until um, after they put on faces. Like, um, it's this well, wall. Well, this is the wall, then but there is where's no the person. woman? Right. No, there's no there's person. No, yeah, there's no, yeah. Because right. that's the note saying, you know, turn uh, uh, of damnation. Like, there's stuff going on. <laughs> She's like, bitch, I, told bitch you, I can't. Don't get the ring. Don't I get the ring. I can't take on the world when you're here beside me. You're not here beside me, so therefore, She was I like, bitch, you should have never left. Right. You left me. How could you? Now, look, I'm lost. 
Lost in the vapors of confusion. Okay, so yeah, so that's not there. That's something. And hey, another scene of a woman admiring and being shocked by Anne Lister. I'm not mad at it. I could have used that. Oh, yes. The script also makes a note about Anne being ever the gentleman and Lister when Harriet leaves, even though Harriet's being a fucking asshole because she stands up and is like, well, bitch, if you're leaving, even if you're leaving in a huff, allow me to be chivalrous while you do it. Ooh. I always like when Sally makes acknowledgments of Ann Walker's thirst uh-huh. in the actual scripts. I mean, because it is evident. It is evident. It is so freaking evident. And there's one notation in this script. Uh, this is a note for that deleted scene we saw from the last episode where Ann Lister is trying to talk Ann Walker up and be like, hey, look, everything's going to be fine. You can come live with me at Shipton. Everything's going to be fantastic. Take the sacraments. <laughs> and Sally's always making these notes about and and Walker's unsteady, but she can't resist and Lister in this moment, even though she's still confused or scared or trepidatious. Still on the grubbles, which is so damn accurate to the real life diaries. Ooh. And there was a bit of a cheers moment, as I would like to refer to it, for the bookstore thing where Anne yes. <laughs> is extra gay looking at the women's. Mm. Are you reading Charlemagne? <laughs> I've read that one twice. Twice. Mm. So this bookshop is the Whitley's Whitley's Bookshop of Halifax. And it says that Whitley's is a well-stocked, well-sized, big-town provincial bookshop, the hub of knowledge in Halifax. An assistant is busy at the counter with two young ladies of modest but polite social status. Through a door, we see Mr. Whitley himself busy with the stock-taking in the little room beyond. The doorbell jingles and Ann Lister walks in. Suddenly the whole shop is on red alert. Nobody can do enough for Miss Lister at Whitley's. And so it reminds me of cheers. Where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. <laughs> That's Whitley's bookshop when it comes to Ann Lister, who loves books. Where everyone loves to say, We are the road where everybody knows your name. But you gotta love it. It's like anyone who's anybody's intelligent, anyone who knows anything will find themselves at Willie's bookshop. Okay. So her finding someone who's what? And they're holding what? An actual book. She said, look at these girls. <laughs> you like to Trying read? to learn and educate themselves. <laughs> I love it. It's cute. <laughs> so when we saw the assistant being like, sir, sir, it's because Miss List is a very important client. And it's like, Whitley jumps to his feet. So he's the namesake of the store. When he sees Anne, who is one of those customers, he always attends to himself. And after he says good morning, the note says, the two young ladies will have heard of Miss Lister, but probably never been this close to her before. Right. She's a bit of a posh novelty act in old Halifax. Certainly the sort of chance encounter you might dine off for weeks. So we already know these bitches be bored in Halifax. So one sighting of Anne Lister got you gooch in the topic of gossip and conversation for weeks. Outrageous. That's ridiculous, but that's also Anne Lister's impact, obviously. So we have those lines where she's like, I read it twice. Mm-hmm. And the note says that the, the two young ladies are overwhelmed and delighted that Miss Lister is bestowing attention on them. Now, what that means is, is that there was a mess in the petticoats. So yes, what that that's means. absolutely true. And they fucking have that Mr. Whitley is jealous because he wants all of Miss Lister's attention himself. <laughs> this is how I imagine it is with everybody when it comes to Ann Lister and Mrs. Priestley. This is, again, why she's acting out in these evil, horrible ways that she is. And then, of course, she loves to watch the ladies leave. And I'm like, mm. like, behave. You just got a wedding ring. Well, a ring for the sacraments. So, yes. I like that it marks that Anne watches after the women. Surreptitiously. <laughs> no, no, it is. It is true because that's exactly how she does it. So before we finish out these script notes, you know, I got to go to uh, the Abbott 
the Abbott scenario. Oh. Tea with Mr. Abbott. Oh. I feel like they didn't uh, cut anything from this. I feel like it's all still there. I feel like you they, think, oh, the so cutting should Are you placing your bets? You're cutting placing your should bets. have happened. Are we saying that cutting happened? It doesn't look uh, like it happened. Let's see. The same episode that brought us, are you hermaphrodite? Brought us, well, you know, you're getting old. You're, you're getting old. The and there's, no, there's no great insulation happening in this house. So I wouldn't be surprised if you got a touch of the the, the rheumatiz. Or the, the gout. Or the, okay, so the also Abbott is 39 years old. So evidently he's like an Lister's age, essentially. Ooh. And he's not shy. So he's like the end of his clan if she was into making carpets. Got it. Uh, <laughs> Still far beneath. Oh, Still yes. far beneath yes. I am. But yeah, I guess. Mm. Mildly akin. And just some of the notes that had me cracking up was after we get into the scene and Abbott is talking about, the best thing you could do is knock down this oh, old piece of shit, shit. basically. And it has the note as Aunt Ann Lister can't believe this man. She's never met anything like him. Okay. I like how it's anything, not anyone, just anything, anything, all species. Certainly not in their own dining room. So brash, so full of unsolicited opinions. Marion hangs on his every word. Her eyes are alive with appreciation of him. So, yeah, we got all that in the scene. And Aunt Ann Lister was not having it. There's also a note that Aunt Anne can hardly believe Marion was so crass <laughs> as to tell a visitor something personal like that. When she's like, well, she's got ulcers. Right. I was like, legs, are you doing ulcers? that to, to help him feel like he's got a leg to stand on on this point? But he doesn't. This conversation is not interesting and everyone is put off by it. Right. So why would you subject someone, especially your sister? Do you think that she would not? Listen, he, he won't be a lister. You said it. <laughs> You said it. You said it. And uh, how that attitude? They have they have it noted that Jeremy, seeing that the conversation was pointless and distressing his sister, that he wanted to change tact and talk about traveling. But by the time the shit is done, and we find out that homeboy don't travel, he don't do nothing, he doesn't want to be in the military, just horrible stuff, and he doesn't even care about the tea party shit, when he's like, better you than me, and loses all of Captain Lister's respect in that moment. In the script notes, it says, basically, you know, since Captain Lister is a, is a military man, that invariably he, he thinks Mr. Abbott is an arse. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. And Marion is the only energy. one trying to fix shit, right? Yeah, it does. It does. Like, you not even pretend in the family. Like, you got this energy already. So it's like, first, low all the way down. Oh, all the way down. Second, learn to read the room. I know that's probably, like, I don't know, foreign from where you're from. Mm -hmm. But read the room because you were saying some terribly audacious things that nobody Terribly audacious. Carried. And nobody asked you for that. As we get to the scene with Anne and Harriet and Thirsty Anne and Harriet has like raised the level of turn up that she has there just too bold to whatever uh yeah this was yeah the script does make notes that oh she's being bold she's being courageous and i'm like yeah because when you stop that book from moving that's the bravest thing you ever did do but it makes a note to say that ann lister was basically taking all of her barbed comments on the chin because she's used to it she's used to people being shady and rude yeah. and whatever and she's practicing that shit up until a point of course but that harriet harriet's not she doesn't have a, a thick chin so the minute ann lister's like but you could go though bitch like you could you can leave that she is supremely offended and hurt by Anne said that meanwhile she was being a straight mean girl. Which... Yeah, I'm trying to think of where she would have found herself to be like, oh, I'm doing I'm doing the thing that uh, I was told to do <laughs> versus like having a mind of her own. Uh, I don't think that Mar uh, 
I don't think that this girl, uh, I almost want to call her Stephanie. That's not her name. No. Wait, um, Park Hill? Yes. Harriet. Thank God. But yeah, like she's definitely moving. She's she's taking a stance from a, a thought that's not originated by her herself. So she's doing this standoffish, this uh, this game. This this it's almost like an oppressive bullying if it would be done in a mass, mm. you know, where she's like, oh, I'm I'm here to speak for the majority, and the majority of us does want you around. The majority of us thinks that you're here way too often. The majority of us. <laughs> I mean, but it's just what. No, you're right, though. That's that's the total air that she's giving off. And when they have the script notes for Ann Walker after Ann Lister gives her statement about how they should go back to York and see Dr. Belcombe, it says Ann Walker comes and sits at the backgammon board as Ann Lister sets it up for a new game. Ann Walker's finding this excruciating, that Ann Lister and Harriet simply no longer function together amicably in the same space. And so the whole thing is impossible, uncomfortable, ridiculous. Harriet, who feels the same, picks up on Ann Walker's discomfort and eventually summons up the courage to say, you don't have to be here. And I'm like, girl, I understand how that's written, but I'm like, please, like, <sighs> if anyone has to leave, it needs to be Harriet. Okay. Because I've been Everything was chill. Right. Everything was chill till you started coming in with your peanut gallery comments. I mean, uh. we have a trend of improved physical uh, behavior, physical output. She's been happier. Her mind's been in a better place, a better state. And it's because of what? It's because of us. It's because of the energy that we're putting into each other and not just you going around calling her invalid to her face. Like that stuff's doing nothing for our inner peace of mind. Not at all. So uh, you can keep it. Right. And the script does note that Harriet was shooketh when Anna's basically like, well, you, you should go home. And the delivery notes for Saran Jones were like, and gets a bit grave and quiet and is careful not to sound the least bit vindictive or small-minded. I'm like, but stern, stern and serious because uh, okay. Park Hill got that. And then it adds, and when Ann Lister's grave, her voice has a quiet authority that might seem ever so slightly threatening to someone like Harriet. Unlike Ann Lister, Harriet has no practice whatsoever at taking slights on the chin. Instantly, it unnerves her. She looks to Ann for support, Ann Walker. But Ann Walker stares at the floor, feeling crippled, stuck between a rock and a oh, hard place. And I we, didn't like this. Yeah. No. She was like, oh, no, the doctor you know, said that I shouldn't be doing this walk. You know, I have to, I'm overly exerted. I shouldn't be doing anything. And then, you know, that energy being brought into the, oh, let's do a cheerful walk. I can't, I can't even do like a half a walk. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Everything was just like, okay, well, things are happening and I'm letting it happen even though it's not my fault, but there's a disagreement. I'm not actively going to disagree. I'm just going to sit with my thoughts and just watch you both speak to each other and ping pong my stance around, depending on who spoke last or whatever. Right. I like that there's not many script notes given in between the, the major dialogue of the last fight of the episode, because that's that means that's a lot of actor um, input that's going in there. But, and, and certainly they would have been comfortable with their characters by this episode to be able to just sort of like read into what's happening here and add their own stuff. The only note that's really made is after Ann Walker delivers a line, it's wrong, it's repugnant, it's against gold, it's queer. It says Teflon N is starting to feel hurt by this. So the solid rock, the pillar of strength is like, mm, I have a bit of a crack after you said that because that should hurt. And we could tell Saran Jones played that wonderfully. She sure did. Final notes are on the final scene. 
of the episode, which oh, is Anne and the Brute. Don't take me back there. Don't want to go back. Well, terrible. at least we're only here for an extremely short period. Okay, I could do that. He's like, headed home. Oh, <laughs> Headed home. Just fuck off, creeper. Yeah, it's... Ugh. Yeah, it just makes notes about Anne being like, what the fuck are you doing here? And not noticing him at first. And that despite being at a disadvantage, Anne Lister finds the resources to throw him off. And we see the woman who really can shoot straight and fight with a sword. She's incensed. And so we definitely get that vibe. That in this scene where she's being attacked by the brute, that this is the Anne Lister who practiced things with her brother, who's not afraid to oh. pull up some hedges, do some man's work and whatever, that you know, you're not gonna just go push her or hit her and not get some fight back. And I appreciate that energy, man. Yeah. One thing that I I'm not sure this was quite in the show, because oh. it says like he contents himself spitting in her face, which ugh. But that he makes a lunge at her once more, but she stands her ground and he turns to leave. I'm not sure if I remember that lunge. Do you remember a lunge? I could be blocking it out. I feel like he spits on her and then straight up walks away. But does he lunge? After, after the, the spit? spit? No, after to be the like, spit, what you got? there's an advance and then there's a, you know, we don't want to round. Yeah. See, I imagine like the Captain Marvel non-budge, like when Thanos... Hit her with that headbutt, and she was like, unmovable force. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what they meant with Ann Lister, that he was going to budge or try to make her flinch, and she didn't. Or, I mean, you don't watch basketball, but there's a famous Kobe Bryant gif where someone is trying to, uh, another player is trying to fake him with like a ball, like directly to his face, and it goes like right here, and he doesn't flinch at all. Well, that's right. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a little badass. Watch it, like, staring at Ann <sighs> slowly, uh, Slowly but surely, just collecting herself and her fluids and after the final, that aggressive tussle. Yes. And the final bit is like Anne Lister, battered, bruised, humiliated, shocked, and with the blood streaming down her face from her forehead, but still proud and full of clout, catches her breath as she watches after him. I don't know that she ever lost her pride during that fight. Oh, I'm so going to also move to It was there the entire not. time because yes. the minute he started in on her shit, she was like, who the fuck are you? What the fuck do you think you're doing? Damn you, fucking wretch. So that is the end of Script Notes with Sally. Did anything in particular stick out in this review of scripts? There's always these scenes that we don't get. I mean, for some of them, I was glad to have had them omitted. I mean, I don't need to see, oh, uh, <laughs> Maphrodite. Like, I, no, I, oh, didn't, I don't yeah, need no, those need kind those of lines. things. We don't need those lines. Uh, but all the Ainsworth that got deleted, I mean, may they be more. May they be more. May there be more deletions. <laughs> May there be more deletions of Mr. Ainsworth. And uh, for, uh, is this my final trick here with these, um, how do I say it? For, you know, I'm liking what they did with Maggie, even though I'm calling her Maggie. <laughs> wait, wait, who's Maggie? Maggie? Who's Maggie? Uh, I don't think there's a damn person in show named Maggie. Yeah. Eugenie? No. Um, Harriet. The other Harriet. Yo, Maggie, <laughs> Maggie, wow, that's quite that's a, a that's a dame. I don't even know what that um that's a dame and yeah, not her. Oh, there that is a dame. I don't know. Yes. The first Maggie that came to mind was The Walking Dead, and Lord knows I don't watch that show anymore. So, so, and I don't want to say for Harriet, but that's how I'm gonna remember Harriet <laughs> for Harriet, Harriet, Harriet the uh the spiritual spy. You're going to turn oh my God. nation. You're going to hell, Ann Walker. Oh my goodness! Uh, I I do like. Uh, I mean, 
already spoke about Ainsworth. Les Ainsworth is more, more than fine for me. Um, the rearrangement of the sequence of the events. I like what we got versus what we read. Um, the energy that came across from uh, James. Right, right, right. Uh, Eugene's flirting. I would have loved to have seen what that could have looked like, but I mean, it's sad to say that I didn't get to see that. Uh, I mean, they talking about Eugenie looking for a man. That's what they make it seem like. She out here flirting with she anybody. She just lost a baby. Does the bitch ever go to town, right? Cause she maybe that's why they took it out. Although I guess you could like flirt to just try to take your mind off of your lost fetus. But I don't know. I just feel like she would be in the dofuls, as Anne always says. For a while, she was like, "I'm depressed," especially because her hormones would not be getting back to where they should be for a little bit. Just because right. the baby your body is has to catch up. No, no, yeah. Your body has to catch up for sure. All right. Well, so before we get into the diary entries segment, um, do you remember last week I mentioned the book by Angela Steedle that she wrote that I haven't referenced a bunch, but her book is entitled Gentleman Jack, a biography of Ann Lister, Regency landowner, seducer, and secret diarist. Mm. And so I've not been referencing it really while we've been doing the podcast and I forgot that I read it because I've reread Ann Troma's and Helena Whitbread's and Joe Liddington's books several times over each just for myself and also in the course of us doing the podcast it had been a while since I reread it which I did recently and then I sort of remembered why I wasn't referencing it a bunch oh no (laughs) well I mean it's just sort of like I know (laughs) (laughs) like I already know but it's just sort of like of course I'm endlessly grateful to anyone who has taken time out of their life to try to educate the masses on Enlister and the fact that she existed and was jaunting about doing things subversively, breaking down gender roles, looking for a wife and all this stuff because hello, more people need to know. But, you know, I'm a person that's super into nuance. Like I love I love some good details. I really live for it. And ultimately, if we take, for example, Joe Liddington's Nature's Domain, or even Anne Choma's published book about Anne Lister, you really have, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of pages that are dedicated very specifically to what is relatively a short time window of Anne Lister's life. And even though those books are relatively thorough, there's still stuff missing because, as we know, five million words, she wrote down everything from the mundane to the super important, most important grubble of the day. And so it's hard to kind of pack that all in. But ultimately, because we had talked about Eliza Rain and the way she writes her book, she does it in periods of the women that were in Anne's life that she wrote about for you know a portion of time and I liked that she talks about all the women starting with Eliza but at the same time they're all terribly short okay so the amount of pages that this author uses to talk about Anne and Anne prior to a very penultimate moment in the show and in life which I would say is episode seven about 14 pages that's not enough right that's what I would say that's it's not, not enough. enough it's not enough Where's the beef? And it could be because I'm so thirsty, you're so thirsty, we're all so thirsty for more endless information. But at the same time, I'm just sort of like, when a woman or any person leaves behind five million words, like, we are best served to get to know that person by reading the words that they left on the page. And ultimately, I think that my lasting impression with this book when I first read it was that there was not enough stuff said about the ends, which, in my opinion, ultimately can do a disservice to the reader or disservice for the reader who's looking for as much context as possible where these two women are concerned. And as far as I'm aware, Angela Steedle's the last to the party of the sort of core group of historians that's been writing about Ann Lister. The latest so far. 
Right, so far. Because we already know. I don't I don't have to know. I don't have to know, but I already know that there's already at least I'm just gonna throw out a number, ninety seven. Gays yeah. right now yep. who are working on things that will be intellectual property to talk about Ann Lister and explore her fucking life and her loves and the ladies that were there, the grubbles. Like I fully that's it's happening. And if it isn't, which I know it is, I'm speaking it into existence and well yeah. make it happen. Create the Google Doc, whatever it is, whatever it is, <laughs> like, whatever it is. Right, give me, it can be a Google the Doc. Like just share, decode all together. One team, go team, go. We need right. it. Right. So you know, I didn't reference this book a heck of a lot because many people get the idea, which certainly to look at a lot of the rhetoric and terms used in this book, you get the idea that the author maybe isn't the biggest fan of Ann Lister, or certainly that perhaps she's sitting in a place of judgment um, on Ann Lister, yes. where I would prefer objective criticism. You know, I guess essentially, you know, if you if you were to compare it to, say, Anne Choma, Anne Choma's book, the companion piece to the show Gentleman Jack, one, the very first chapter, which doesn't even really get into a bunch of stuff with Anne and Anne, is about 20 pages. And so just just as a point of comparison for what we're trying to get into with the nuance, I just don't think it's really possible to get to know these complicated women well when this is the section, this is how much time you dedicate to it. But on the other hand, the flip side about reading her book is that she's really blunt about certain things that I kind of like, depending on what she's talking about. Other times you're like, I don't know, that was a little, maybe a little bit harsh, a little bit. Yeah, I think a little she, bit <laughs> she came across some some text that really pissed her off and was like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. I learned all I needed to learn. And I'm oh, about say, Lister? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, uh, as far as I could tell, there was one article in The Guardian um, I was able to source that she is not a decoder. Angela Steedle has not decoded like any of the past, Helena Whitbread, of course, who's like the OG and Lister historian, and that she seems to be sourcing kind of what we were doing. The amount of information that exists currently from the people who've dedicated their lives to Ann Lister's story, like Helena Whitbread. And so you've got decades and decades of other historians' work to be like, okay, I'm sourcing these diary entries and things and things. So as far as I can, as I can tell, she was not a decoder. But, you know, just some, just to frame out where this book is coming from in comparison. I mean, and when you get down to the rhetoric, there's specific rhetoric used, you know, that does not please me. And one of those things is like the term beguile, you know, and Lister, beguiled, and Walker. What do you, what are things that come to mind when you think of the term beguile and its use? <laughs> I mean, it, I don't want to say buying and selling. I don't want to say uh, charlatan. I don't want to say a uh, snake oil salesman or like a... Uh, Grifta or like a I don't want to say that but it sort of puts me in that mind where someone's like duping somebody else right it doesn't seem like it's in earnest it's not an in right. earnest okay connection okay yes yeah. so we are of the same mind where that is concerned that while perhaps there are other nuanced ways to use beguile where it's not altogether a negative connotation the first thing that comes to mind to me, to you, and perhaps scores of other people is a negative connotation, like trickery. And she uses this term in relation to the courting of Anne Walker. So for instance, in the chapter where it's entitled Anne, and it covers from 1832 to 1840, she writes, when talking of, you know, their trips to the Mass Hut, aka the Fuck Hut, gay lady shack, she writes, Anne Walker, for her part, had no need to persuade herself of anything. Beguiled by Anne, she walked the love path on a surprise visit to Shibden Hall the next day, allegedly to get Anne's advice on a tenant. I'm not sure if you can tell, but we have talked about this period extensively throughout the course of doing the podcast and the nightcaps about this specific 
thing, allegedly. And okay, allegedly is appropriate because, well, we know that Ann Walker really didn't give a fuck about her tenant. She was just trying to talk to Ann Lister. But I mean, outside of the use of beguiled, it's stuff like this where... To reference Antroma's book, she has little anecdotes about it's like texting your date after you've had a wonderful night out when she's talking about these letters and the exchanging of books. Where here we have another author who is not only using the term beguile, but then also just not acknowledging the the flirtation, the, the actual flirtation that is happening between these two women on a literal day to day basis. And as we know, hourly sometimes, like we are sending letters yeah. sometimes multiple times a day because this is how it worked. There was no texting, so there was just servants running letters. And so this idea, this idea of Anne Walker being beguiled is one that is a consistent strain throughout her retelling of the courtship. And of the reasons I don't like it, I feel like it takes things away from my beloved Anne Walker, but most especially, most flagrantly, her thirst, like her gay desire that is unbridled. I don't know if you're going to say something. Yeah, I was going to probably allude to or... Uh, emphasize the fact that up until this point in the story that we're we're getting on screen is that everyone was handling Anna Walker, calling her things that were inflammatory to her face. If she just had to be subjected to sitting and taking all that punishment because it's what in fun and love. How's the invalid today? And it's like, you know, where is her agency? She got all this money, but she got no respect. And here comes no Lester, who's like, you know, why would I think little of you or foolish of you? Like, why Why should I? How could I? You know, and it's like, well, well, let's introduce you to you. And then so now you can put all these people, a.k.a. your relatives, in their place. Tell them, no, they can't have no money. No, they can't have your number. You don't want no scrub. Tell that to uh, uh, this uh, Lord. I don't want no scrub. I, I mean, I was calling him Ainsley. Is that his name? Oh, he's, a, he's worse than a scrub. Right. He's a uh, fucking all, all, And then, you know, just oh, any future correspondence will be going through uh, Shipton Hall. Oh, by the way, she's coming over <laughs> to enter our breakfast in just, in just a few seconds. <laughs> Ugh. But, like, you yeah. can't paint that story of, of, you can't paint that as me on the outside learning about Englister through this media and then give me a book that is saying, you know what, subvert all that. Like, you know that part where she asks for money? That's really the more important aspect of it. Lord, not their passion, you know I'm about not to go their off. union. You know I'm going to go off their, on that. Just, Soon enough with the Ann Lister and the money. The money business. You know what really, what really is sort of the crux of this whole fucking thing for me is, regardless of the historian, because perhaps it doesn't, it doesn't matter what your uh, sexual orientation is for you to be caught up in things that are potentially gazy or added criticism where it just doesn't exist for other people. And I was thinking to myself, as we've said many times before, for all the articles, just read another one from the Guardian that was essentially saying like, oh. Anne and Anne, were they happy though? Did they fight though? Did Anne care about the money? What is this? And I'm just like, okay, off the top of my head, off the top of my head, what are five fucking head couplings that existed in real life? That it is known for anyone who is aware of these humans that the relationship was not perfect, that there were problems, that there was infidelity, that there were broken hearts along the way. But still, when the story of this het relationship is told, it's told with all the nuance and romance that you that we've come to expect from head stories. So a perfect example, or one of the examples, I don't know if you saw the HBO version of this, but the story of um, Ernest Hemingway and Martha Gellhorn, that of the many women that motherfucking sexist ass Ernest Hemingway got his ass involved in, she was one of them, and the relationship was volatile. And 
certainly not altogether happy. And yet, what do we have? We have iterations of this relationship told. We have a romanticized version of what could only be described as certainly toxic. <laughs> and many, yeah. many times of um, Avernus and Avernus Hemingway and Gellhorn. Um, if anyone's curious, played by Clive Owen and the lovely Nicole Kidman. Was another fucking example. One of my fucking faves, Virginia Woolf and her husband Leonard. Eek. Infidelity, issues, fights, whatever. It was not what we would consider a perfect marriage by any means, but yet universally understood by people who are fans or have studied the works of Virginia Woolf to say that this was a unique marriage, a binding marriage, in which yeah. true love, actual love, lasting love existed, right? And who else could we say? Who else could we say? Who there was fucking cheating? Frida, Frida, Kahlo, and okay. Diego. Oh, yeah, yeah, But yeah. like, hello, great love, deep love, lack of fidelity once again um another person that comes to mind Anais Nin another one of my favorites and she was married twice um but certainly her first husband Hugo during which she had a number of affairs including most notably with Henry Miller and so I'm but are you getting my point my point is is that I can go through het couple after het couple after het couple who was still regarded as oh look at this het couple matter of fact let me throw in Colette motherfucking played by Kira Knightingly which pissed me off I don't know if any of our listeners have seen the film Colette, possibly. If you're on the search for queer content, I personally, as I told you, was very disappointed in that film. Namely because I, Colette is French. And I. it would be like you telling me that Kira Knightingly or some other wonderful British actor was playing Edith Piaf. I would say, but why would you do that? Edith Piaf is French. And right. I believe Get that. I believe that at the very least, you should have a French accent, let alone ideally a French actor. And so not only was Kira Knightingly not French. She wasn't speaking with a French accent. And the whole of the cast was just like British because they were like, fuck it. It was like Tom Cruise when they tried to do that bad German film about the Nazis. And they're like, who needs German accents? We'll just all talk in our regular accents because it's fucking fine and no one's going to believe the accents. And people were like, oh, Lord. That's, that, that didn't work for me. I, it took me out. So for me, it took me out of the story. Because I was very familiar with Colette. I was very familiar with the controversies that she stirred up in, in France. And I was curious about this. And I was annoyed that the film not only did all this shit, but they framed her almost entirely in this film with her heterosexual relationship. When I would say the least interesting things in her life happened when she was most inveigled with her husband who was taking credit for her work. So... That is ultimately the overarching thing of my annoyance with these stories about Ann Lister is these, it, what it feels like the necessity for people to put an emphasis on what was imperfect or what wasn't happy or was there a desire of money in here as if that humans aren't kaleidoscopes of levels of things and motivations and stuff and that two things can't be true at the same time. That you could be interested in a bitch that has money because hey, money makes things easier right. but also interested in a pretty bitch that you can grubble. A bitch that you can fucking incur across about for four hours. Know what I'm saying? Uh, she's just human. Did she incur across for fear for four hours? I'm sorry, that's loud. <laughs> I haven't seen the entry. If someone out there knows about the entry in which she incurred across for fear for four hours, please hit me up because I have not come across it and I would like to. But yes, continue. No, ultimately you're right. It's like they're just looking for a reason to not keep her as known as she is becoming because she's, you know, she's got a reputation even without knowing any most things about her. OK, but isn't part of equality the ability to be imperfect? Like we do not need a queer hero that was the perfect wife or lover I to agree. her partners. We just need a real person who was living 
as themselves, gay and out loud and in stark contrast and opposition to what the word of the day and what society and what religion was saying as evidenced by all the women who were plagued by like, what about this morality? What will the church say? What will Jesus say? And Ann Lister was not. She was like, Jesus would say, I codify these grubbles. I sanctify it in holiness as long as we're married. And so I just, I, I was a little dismayed to come across what I felt was such a judgy perspective. You know, getting back to what we were saying about beguiling and tricking, I just, I'm just trying to figure out how you trick a woman into the grubbles. I think it more so has to do with what this historian feels as Ann Lister's intent. Because, you know, beguile is an air. I mean, the whole point is that it's deceptive, right? It's charming or enchanting someone, but tricking them. And so while there's obvious deception that Ann Lister engages in because she's not forthcoming about her sexual history or things of that nature that, frankly, would really make Ann Walker blush, let alone Park Hill or anyone else, I think trying to say she tricked her into the grubbles is ridiculous because oh, she was I never agree. able to trick Veer into the grubbles if one can trick. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's what, I think that gets at the heart of it. How do you trick someone into groveling? Yeah, no, I feel like do if you, you do agree. Do they slip and fall on your hand? Does a woman slip and fall on my knee? And then we get to the grubbles. How do you trick someone into groveling? Explain to me. You, you place Please. your hand uh, next to their uh, near queer and then you just wait for the pulsate to just, you know, <laughs> syncopate. And you're like, oh. I almost just spit this champagne like, on the oh, screen. Like, oh, you are, uh, you are quite um, not dry. Um, you are uh, quite, uh, yeah, you're quite not dry. Um, how about, um, <laughs> Wait, what? oh dear. <laughs> I oh just dear. got what you were saying, quite not dry. Yeah. Good okay. Lord. Those petticoats of yours, um, are they always this Those nap? petticoats are drenched. Yeah. Like, do you trick someone into oral sex? No. Help you, me. No, you know, because you well, got to. I'm just. You got to kind of want it as somebody who's proposing it. And then you got to kind of want it as the oh, person wait. hearing the proposition. Terrence, I figured it out. She was like, I have to take your pulse. But the pulsations, <laughs> <laughs> the pulsations, they come from, they come from I over need here. I them from the source. You know, this is how, this is how we study. You know, the femoral arteries in the thigh. And so leading science is showing that if I take your pulse closer to your thigh, it'll be more accurate. And I, I feel like, you know, it's important that I always know that you're healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm only I'm only making that joke because we know Ann Lister was trying to feel a bitch pulse. I was, when it was Ann Walker, and she was like, she was, just right. trying to, she was trying to hold her hand. She was like, I just want to hold your hand, but I'm going to pretend like it's about the pulse situation. But I'm just going to hold your hand for an hour. So I guess we both agree then that you, you can't trick somebody into the grubbles. Yeah, no. It can't happen. It's called, <laughs> it's called sapphic seduction. It's called letting nature be your guide. Oh, and Ann Lister yes. said all the time, to let nature be your guide. We've It's been denied from us in the scripts, but we know she says it. And she yes. has said it to multiple women. Let so, nature guide you. Yes, yes. And ultimately, I feel like use of terms like beguile and things of that nature in the book does not take into consideration Ann Lister's own words in the day-to-day from her own diary when she writes things like, I really do think I'm falling in love with Miss Walker. I really do think we could really be happy together. I could really make her very happy. I really am very happy. That time where she's talking to her aunt and she's literally like, this has been the best day, the <laughs> best scrubbles. I'm feeling super optimistic about the future. I mean, what the fuck is that? Is she just an unfeeling lesbian who is like, I dream of pence, not getting near queer. I'm just, okay, Here's where here's where it doesn't make sense for me because this is the same author that writes about the quadruple grubble 
All right. Oh, right. With the, Shout out to the Patreon yeah. listeners who have heard that. And uh, real quickly, guys, because is it relevant to our Anne and Anne sweetness? No. But is it relevant to how gay Anne Lister is? Yes. yes. And so eventually, eventually, later when we're finished surmising all the stuff that has to do with our, our lovely Anne's, we will be incorporating these this new experimentation that's happening on the Patreon, which is like, how gay is Anne Lista? Find out on the next Gruber confessional. Pretty gay. Pretty fucking gay. And so she writes about these moments where Anne Lister is over at Tibbs. Oh, I'm I'm here to help you mourn, Tib. Your dad's dead. But instead and gets onto the grubbles with three house. Yeah. Three house in Tib's house. And Tib yeah. is not one of them hosts. That's gay. It's fucked up. It's full of thoughtery. But it's also it's also very gay. And if you guys are wondering who are those women, who are those women? Um, one is Miss. <laughs> sorry, I was about to say Mary Valance, but every time I think about how that was Isabella's boothang and how Anne Lister came up Ooh. in there, was like, let me get a cat, let me get a get grubble, let me feel the stones of the Ovaria. Ooh. True words. She says that. Um, Anne Belcombe, which we've talked about before, one of Marianne's sisters. Oh, and could it be another one of Mariana's sisters, the one that's uh, edgy, Miss Milne, who evidently had multiple lovers out there but those are the people she gets up to the grubbles with it's all in the same crib and hilariously these women reference each other and the fact that they know that endless is on the emma rosso with all of them it's absurd it's absurd and it's gay and so if you can write and you can mention and you can cite this really really gay scenario that happened 10 years prior to ann lister trying to court ann walker how can we then say beguiled <laughs> Anne Lister is obviously good in bed, and she's a charmer. That's seduction. I mean, is there another word we can use besides seduction? I'm sure there's words akin, but uh, what would you use? I mean, I say seduction, but an alternative to I beguile. Mean, spellbound. 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 Yeah. Well, come hither. Well, I don't want to use official definitions like charming, but like uh, when you're really smooth, when you're smooth, when uh, it's like you are radiating with the power of the 93% behind you. The power of the 93%. I mean, you just like you're you're winning like like you're running like you can't lose ultimately. So it's it's a beautiful thing. And and it's like having theme music behind you everywhere you go when you're jaunting and there's music and you know, Yo, people can read that for energy. Had that theme, right? <laughs> she for yeah. sure did. And you can read, like you watching uh, her, you can read it. So if someone is they get in the game or whatever it is, like she's just saying what it is. You go, you gonna want to see what's up with that. You want you you will want to know why the ladies are turning their necks in the bookstores after. You why know. they turning their necks <sighs> to get a look at Anlista? Right. That's what. Who is that remarkable creature over there? Uh-huh. My petticoats are doing something different. Uh-huh. I, I'm unprepared. <laughs> I mean, first of all, we know that that's a very real thing. That there's a number of people out there who can reference Xena, or depending on the show, maybe they'll say Buffy, maybe they'll say motherfucking Jennifer's body if it's one of the Gen Zers. Like, there's plenty of points that queer people, and especially queer women, could be like, it was that person yep. that existed doing something. And I was like, oh, wait. And, Am I not a straight line? Am I? <laughs> Oops. Ooh, the gay jumped out. I, I wasn't expecting this, but here it is. So invariably, that was Anne Lister jaunting around Halifax and York and Paris and wherever the fuck she was with her brace. Is that there was a hoe in the street and she was like, I don't even know. She saw some representation. She was like, queerness. What's this? Oh, <laughs> ooh, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. I wasn't aware that women could 
could jaunt down the street like that and I'm 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 like Miss Mill and I'm fixated. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know more. Who's that girl? Na 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 Is that girl? I'm just saying. Fucking all kinds of theme music for Ann Lister. It's wild. There doesn't seem to be acknowledgement or what's the word? Uh, equal attention being paid to like uh, sure sure to the grubbles but of course like how momentous that it was and so let us go for a moment to this author's relaying of the first night grubbles but i do like that she takes ann lister to task for her obvious hypocrisy in the sexual exploits of other women versus herself because that's a big huge Uh, it's an end thing it's It's a total thing thing, where she's like don't do as i do do as i say well you know these laws that should affect all women should be i'm not a woman i'm not a regular woman i'm (laughs) me which is extra special duh right surely a landed lady will be falling in that category all right so one of the passages that had me sort of exclaiming aloud the entire time was how this book describes the first night well, she does note that, you know, Anne Walker had to ask three times before Anne finally went to bed with her. <laughs> well, I mean... She had to be ever so thirsty. She, she and then did. there's a note of Anne Lister's diary entry where she writes, Miss W, not well, lay on the sofa all day. And I sat by her very affectionately, gave her oh. her gruel, and thought she was suffering from having had me last night. And so that's what we have laughed. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's what we were... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's worth it. It's worth a good hearty laugh because, yeah. And so the writer, Angela, writes and struggled, parentheses, or appeared to struggle to recover from the loss of her virginity. She never thought, and this is from Ann Lister's diary entry, she never thought I should have made her suffer so much, would never let me do so again. I took all this very well. <laughs> oh, those, the struggle. Oh, no. <laughs> My legs aren't working. My legs. <laughs> What's this spasm, Anne? <laughs> Call the priest. Call Dr. Day, Dr. Sunderland, and Dr. Kenny. All the doctors. I need all the doctors on board, bitch. I don't know what's happening to me. And the writer continues, just as she took in her stride, the information Anne had given her that night about her income, Anne Walker received 2,500 pounds a year, but could only spend 1,000 pounds of it freely. That was far less than Anne Lister had assumed. They had both got what they'd been waiting for. Anne Walker, sex, and Anne Lister, hard figures. But they both woke disappointed. So this, this is what I have a problem with. How, I guess on a base level, on a very base level, if you're getting a grubble, how do you wake disappointed? That's what I'm trying to, you know. It, it Theoretically, if Ann Walker's a fucking virgin, before the Ainsworth drama comes percent. into it, and even then, that doesn't mean she caught a fucking O with Ainsworth. I know she didn't catch an O with Ainsworth. How is a bitch going to catch her first O, Terrence? And more than likely, multiple O's. If we go based off previous times with her, Mariana, let's say anywhere from six to ten. So tell me, how do you wake disappointed? So, help, because help the twenty five hundred help me understand is only a thousand that can be freely spent for that sole reason. Um, and Lister woke up disappointed, um, according to this historian. Is that what I now? Here's here's what my <laughs> here's 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 where it begins. Here's where it begins and potentially ends. Because do we need more reasons? How how does Ann Walker? lose her virginity via the grubble and not just any grubble. And that's not to say that women are out here doing it wrong because again, the 93%, but she out here with Ann Lister, a learned lesbian, a woman who has gotten out to the Amoroso with 
plenty of bitches. She knows what a woman likes. So Ed Walker has her first time. So much so she fucked up. She fucked up her with the tremors, with the spasms. She woke up disappointed. How she wake up disappointed from her first grubbles? How she wake up disappointed from her first multiples, Terrence? Is that possible? That sounds like propaganda. I've not let you speak, but I'm just like, how? I'm stuck on wow. I'm stuck on wow. I just how? Maybe you just there's no. I don't get that. Only because uh, what if? What if? No, because you have nothing to compare it to. See, there's how do you? There's no. You need a base. You need a. There's nothing to compare it to. You need a. You need an experience. You need a something. Something <sighs> has to be there. I mean, an orgasm is intense. And we're talking about Ann Walker here. Nervous little Ann Walker catching multiple O's. Right. And she is sensitive about religion. Like, I bet you that bitch, just think about what was happening to her after the fact. Everyone who's had good sex knows what happens to your body. It's a little fucked up. You're yes. having after tremors, aftershocks. Your leg might be doing its own thing, its own spasm yes. thing. Ann Walker probably thought she was possessed by the devil and actually releasing a demon at the same time. She was probably like, I am in emotional and spiritual crisis because my body is here reverberating. I'm having aftershocks, bitch, and I don't know what this means. Is this the devil? I tried to stand. Is this the spirits? I no longer Spirit. could stand. Is this the polio? <laughs> She's like, is this is this what demons do? <laughs> they give you multiples, and Lister. I just, I don't, um, again, I just don't know how a bitch is supposed to act when she never had multiples or an orgasm before in her life. And we know that an orgasm is not like in the movies. It's not like in the pornos. You don't look right. If you are actually, if someone is doing sex right, you don't look together. You don't have a face that doesn't look like you're not having a seizure you or some might sort be of drooling. break. I'm, I'm sorry, but it, it is what it is. No, you might be drooling. You might be drooling. You might be drooling. You might be mumbling or speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages you weren't prepared for. Eyes rolling to the back of the head. Know what I'm saying? No control over your, over your, over your faculties, really, because that's what the tremors and the aftershocks are about. God, oof. But she woke up disappointed. She got to the grubbles. First time, near queer, but I'm disappointed. No, it's like, you know what? I think it's almost time for the U-Haul. That, that's where that You know what just popped goes. into my mind? When Ann Lister was mad rude that night or the that 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 period of the quadruple grubble when she saw Miss Bell come and she said I was kissing up on my bosom but the room did not smell good yes. <laughs> she said that bitch room whatever that's that's rude Ann Lister that's petty Ann Lister but is it rude if she just said it in her diaries no <laughs> is it is it rude if she never told Ann Bellcombe while she was kissing up on the bosom like oh. baby girl uh Get thee to Paris, France. <laughs> and Whoa. find a fragrance. But she let us know. She let us, the reader, know that she was being that petty. But she was like, Miss Valence smelled better than Miss Miss Belcombe. Ooh. But whatever. I mean, could she help him make comparisons? I'm just trying to figure out what is a person supposed to do when you visit three bitches in the same night. But compare and contrast. Right. Like, what like, do you expect? For her not to make a comparison? Anyway, completely, completely the first off topic was there. Just right. <laughs> Wait a minute! Sweet, are you doing a Goldilocks third, reference? Yes, the third a one's too a, a lesbian Goldilocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute! We have too many side things we want to do, but I'm literally like, okay, so a jaunty enlisted uh, right. Goldilocks book. Goldilocks and the three quiz. Who are the three quiz? I don't know. They'll probably be the ladies. Okay, if I want to be shady, if I want to be shady, and Walker has to be the just right because uh, okay. ridiculous amount of thirst. Um, 
the one that's too extra, Mariana. Actually, ooh, I should flip it. Ooh, the one that's too one little. Too the one that's too little is, is Mariana. Mariana. The one that's too, too big is, is Tib. Tib. Oh, Tib is okay, too much. To yeah, you Tib is too to much. Tib. I'm gonna give it to Tib. Who else could I really give it to? Because they're the ones that are the most bombastic in her life. I mean, Mrs. Barlow is certainly there for a section, quite frankly. The content we get from Mrs. Barlow. Oh no, I am asleep. Um, I'll never be over it. I will always light a candle to the gay gods for, for blessing us uh -huh. with that. Um, Miss Lister, you're doing yourself harm. Oh no, I am asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. You, you most certainly are not. You're not asleep. <laughs> and Miss Walker is just right. <laughs> Okay, just right. And what kills me about this is that after she says all that, and she's basically like, and I'm going to get off into another rant, but after she says all that. And it's the one and money. Sometimes. But she wanted a wife more than she wanted money. Okay, but then Angela has the insight to be like, and yet they both wanted more. Because of the grubbles, bitch! Because the grubbles was good. The grubbles were on point. And this is what actually, this brings me back to something I was yelling about before, like a week ago, which is to do with Ann Lister and all the conversation about, oh, money, 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 money. And it's like, do we not recall the bitch grubbling herself thinking about Ann Walker for four hours? <laughs> and and this, is what, this is what I have to ask for historians, for historians who think Ann Lister's all about the money. Tell me. Terence, what was she thinking about when she was grubbing herself for four hours? Was she thinking about pence and hay pennies? Was she being showered in coins, in no. pounds? When she was incurring that crush, she was definitely thinking of the lovely, lovely wife to be. Are you sure she wasn't being crushed under several sacks of shillings? Because I think that's her kink, Terence. I think her kink is to be crushed by shillings and then grubble herself to those ideas of shillings crushing her face because she has so many of them. I mean, you asked the right historian, you know, they say that you got it on the money, but. Uh... Well, what kind of is this I crush just... me with those hay pennies <laughs> lady do it oh my petticoats are destroyed every time i picture <laughs> picture a sack full of pence right just throw it at me <laughs> <laughs> just hit me in my face oh, with those hay pennies i don't fucking understand it's like is this what the, is this what she thinks like when you like what you you don't, you don't grubble a bitch for hours, okay? You don't consistently throw a hoe on your knees and you're thinking about money. You're like, well, it's, this is about money, though. Let me, just, let me just make sure that everyone here knows that I'm not thinking about the grubbles. I don't care about this bitch body. I don't care about her face. It's, it's the pounds. The pounds, hay pennies, and pence that matter. Like, are you part of the 7% or are you part of the 93%? Wait, because I'm I mad. Just... First of all, <laughs> if there are any heads listening to this show, they're mad that you just reduced them from 11% to 7%. Oh, they yeah, said, Terrence, right. how dare you? Well, that's, that's you. <laughs> that's you being like, oh, slip. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. They're like, 7%, Terrence. It's 11, <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> These gays are always trying to take shit from us. I'm oppressed. Mm. I think I'm just trailing that video you tried to show me about people not being oppressed, thinking they were oppressed. Oh, like the meninists, like, like actually, so how exactly? Feminism yeah. isn't about equality, and that's why I don't support it. Oh my god! They couldn't put me. Oh. They couldn't put me in that room. They couldn't put me in that room no, to argue. But I like your idea, and I can't wait for you to. Oh my god! To, yeah, we need yeah. to try to make that happen. I mean, what are we gonna get? I, I don't want to say we'll get banned. That won't happen. But. It's semi you never know. Concept, semi right? I just don't believe in giving people the time of day right. who do not value my existence. Like, I'm over that. It could be my age, but also just in general. Like, I just don't... Like, if someone's like, what's up with gay people? i like, get the fuck out of my face. Like, I'm not here trying to have a conversation and bring you to the light. Let some other good soul, some other soul that has more grace than I do because the Lord didn't put it here. Lilith didn't grant me the grace 
of my mother. Right. I'm me. I'm a jaunty, a jaunty queer. And so, no, no! Candace, can you have a non-spirited debate with a bigot about LGBTQIA rights? No, bitch, I can't. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically where I'm at, where this is concerned. And honestly, you know what boggles my mind is like, what I said to you the other day is that how this historian can think this when Ann Lister is the same bitch who sent to Mrs. Barlow. She sent this shit to Mrs. Barlow. She said when she got near queer for Mrs. Barlow, she fucking told that hoe. She was like, listen, bitch, up until now, I didn't know the prettiest thing wasn't on your goddamn face. It was between these thighs. She basically said to Mrs. Barlow, the prettiest thing about you can't nobody see. Mrs. Barlow, I didn't know the prettiest thing about you till now. Do you know how gay that is, Terrence? Do you know how gay and ostentatious it is to tell a bitch to her face. The comment, because it's like a compliment, but it's also shade at the same time. I mean, the prettiest yeah. thing on you, babe. It's between it's, those ties. Right. I've never. It's the, it's, a, it's the unseen. She's like, girl, I never knew the prettiest thing on you was down here. Isn't it a shame that can't nobody but me see it? Like, girl, what? And listen, that is some gay ass fucking content and compliments. And I'm sure Miss Barlow was just like, oh my goodness. I'm just saying you can't have a person as gay as Ann Lister saying gay shit like what she said to Mrs. Barlow and be like, well, she's she's fantasizing about money when she grubbles all the time. She also added, you know, in the very next sentence after she says, and they both wanted more. She writes, in the nights that followed, Ann caressed Ann and gave her, as she owned, pleasure until she managed to shorten the proposed waiting period. Now, what is up with that phrase, that phrasing? It sounds to me she's phrasing it as if Ann Lister was on the grubble just to shorten the proposed waiting period versus being on the grubble for the sake of the grubble and also because of desired engagement. Like not separate, but like I like to grubble and also I want a wife. Two birds, one stone, or rather two stones, one bird. The bird is marriage and grubbles can get me there as well as other things. So yes, there was a dedication to have an actual commitment and then they tried to agree she was looking for the promise so that they could have their sacraments. But what's mm -hmm, that got mm -hmm. to do with the grubbles that they were already having as far as stopping and going or what? We just wanted a decision. We just wanted it to be official. That's really, or at least that's what I got from all the other texts that we previously came across and how it appeared in the show. We wanted the commitment. Uh, right. the, the commitment didn't seem like it came right away. Seemed like there was a lot of fence riding, unfortunately, but uh, fence riding for Ann Lister for Ann Walker. Walker. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, she is she is a rider. She riding a fence of confusion, but you know what? She's also riding the entire time. Ann Lister. <laughs> hey, and this actually see this actually takes me to a new headcanon that I'm working with until I find enough entries or a singular entry to negate this current thought. But really, it actually all connects to this idea that it seems most historians have missed out on, or at least I've not seen it alliterated in such a way. No, we've been talking about it, which is the man keen. And that the man keen is Ann Walker's motherfucking thirst. Okay, so in this book, she mentions that Ann Lister prefers virgins. Let me read the exact line. So in her book, she writes that Ann Lister was vexed from the very beginning by the way Ann Walker did not hide her desire. She always found it unpleasant not to be the first lover in a woman's life and thus have to face comparison. She continues, she much preferred virgins. And uses a quote from Ann Lister's diary that she wrote on the 11th of October, 1832, where she goes, damn her, she is an old hand and has no shame. 
nor anything. She certainly takes all very much like one of the initiated. And then she mentions how her suspicions alighted on Catherine Rawson, with whom Anne visited the Lake District with infamously. And it talks about just Anne Lister's overall suspicions on why she was man keen. And so, again, what always strikes me as interesting here is that there's not, there's less conjecture taken than Helen Whitbread or Jill Eddington or Anne Choma as to why Anne Lister might have preferred virgins. Because, again, you have to assume that Mariana's a virgin, Eliza's a virgin. I'm not sure about Isabella, to be frank. But, well, I mean, if anyone was out here jaunting it up at the same time, it just might be Isabella Norcliffe. So we have talked about this before, but where do we think that Anne got this idea? Outside of the overall patriarchy. And the patriarchy says, well, we these are the rules. These are the rules of pleasure. These are the rules for women. This is how they should act. And if they're acting in this other way, it's because of these reasons that we men have decided. Or... Do we think that it has to do with her her entanglements with women or actually is it both, which is what I'm of the thought, that it's both things. That potentially Ann Lister had a situation with a woman who was not a virgin. We have a Mrs. Barlow there. We have a Mrs. Milne in terms of like women who were queer, but definitely were married to men at some point, had children connected with men, more than likely bisexual, pansexual, whatever. Male keen women. Well, but this is this is what I'm trying to get to is trying to deconstruct Ann Lister's statement of mankeen. That what is the root of the mankeen? Is it just rooted in the patriarchy, or is it also rooted in her relationships with women and a complex potentially that was installed in one of these um, intimate sexual relationships? And if you had to guess that someone was out here giving Ann Lister a complex, who might have been the woman to say something that stuck in Ann Lister's mind or psyche for her to be like, oh, my God, how do I satisfy a woman who's been with a man before? Uh, if we have to go a step beyond or behind the I shan't say no uh lord don't bring up via <laughs> i just uh, we'd have to bring it to why she in black in the first place we it might all start there wait why what why she's in all black in the first place well that's mariana so see actually i'm i'm of the thought though i've not seen anything to co-sign this specifically which is why i obviously have to decode it all and write to the algorithm because i just i like to be sure about things and i can't be sure unless i read every single motherfucking page that she has dedicated to writing something about mariana i cannot be sure that one of the many times that mariana's out here saying something bitchy that she probably should think twice before she opened up her mouth about it to her someone's feelings that it's not possible you know that she said something that could have been shady or rude and involved Charles or some other man that had Ann Lister perceive it as I'm somehow less capable of pleasing you sexually as a lover. Now, I've not seen anything to co-sign that. And for most of the things, Mariana's out here trying to get a kiss. She's trying to get a grubble. When she can, she could be bitchy right. before or after. But she's like, Freddie, that's delicious, Freddie. <laughs> Let's do another. So I'm not sure. But at the same time, I believe like it has to be a combination of the two. A combination of the patriarchy, but also her involvement with women. Perhaps women that... That, that aren't altogether referenced specifically. Maybe the bad women that we were all wishing she had involvement oh, with exist. when she was I a young person. And she doesn't, you know? So I don't, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on on that, on that aspect of it's sexuality? I mean, she gets to have her cake. I get why we are saying that patriarchy is like fucking up her life because more, more often than not literally is, she's a landed lady and you can't, you can't choose to be a landed lady. She, there's no woman who can choose to be a landed lady. Like that's not an option. You're this bestowed with land. People and, die, and right. then it's yours. And then people come to marry you to take 
once yours so that they can run it because they have to manhandle everything because that's how the patriarchy works. So she's just, you know, a person of circumstance who's looking to, I guess, link up with some other landed lady. It just be jaunt off into the landed lady sunset together. Landed lady villa. <laughs> jaunt off. What? What is this? A, is this a supersized love hut? Love shack? I mean, it could be. I mean, wow. I, I like the Shipton Moss House. It's great with the pulled up shrubs. Like, I like how that looks. It's like, am I going to have to write a book called Anne Walker's Thirst? Just to make sure that the world remembers that Anne Walker was really thirsty and really gay. And this is why she fucked up a learned landed lesbian. 40 years old. Grubbled a heck of a lot. And still was like, this bitch man keen. Because uh, imagine this with me for a moment. Like, we already read what was going down in that hut when Anne by her damn self thinking about Anne Walker. It end with Anne Walker. Oh, we lost time. Oh, hours and hours and hours past. Yep. Anybody who's been in a queer relationship, you know how that shit can happen. How yep. jobs can be lost. How people can get offended. How you can be like, what yes. happened? Is this the police interrupting us? I don't know. But things can go fucking down. So, literally... What we are saying about the situation is that she was grubbling this hoe, right? And in the midst of her fucking crises, her emotional, her spiritual crises, which is not different from any other woman that Anne got on the grubble with, not different from Anne Belcombe, not different from Mary Valentine, who was like, but I don't know, is this good? Is this right? But what will Jesus say? So the difference is, is that I feel like that Anne Lister was grubbling a hoe six, seven hours. And Anne Walker's like, oh my God, oh my God, like torment, but also more. <laughs> yes. More? 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 And this was like, right now? She's like, literally yesterday. <laughs> right now. And I feel like that's that's the kind of stuff that she can't sparse. That she is on both ends of the spectrum. She is the most extreme version of, I don't think we can do this, of any woman she's been with in terms of the kind of um, volatile mood swings, if you want to call it that, and the actual torment that Ann Walker suffers legitimately on this stuff. But then also it's on the other end of like the extreme thirst. And as far as I can tell, I've not read entries and things where there's another woman to compare Ann Walker to who was dealing with these things. But at the same time, it's like, more, more, more grubbles. And Lister's like, bitch, my hands got a cramp. Bitch, it's been eight <laughs> hours. You said your back hurt. You said you were concerned about God. What do you mean you want another grubble? You know what? I knew I can't. I knew this girl's man can't. I can't do for this hoe. I can't satisfy this hoe because where is that going to come from? Unless you yourself are trying to make sense of what you're seeing. Where you're like, I can't satisfy her. Who says that unless they see evidence? That says, I can't satisfy this bitch. When really, it's just Ann Walker's endless thirst. That's like, yeah, bitch, I'm tormented. But like, <laughs> doesn't mean I won't be off the ground. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you know how thirsty you got to be to be as tormented as Ann Walker and never off the grubbles? She was like, I will take these demon torments <laughs> for that. Oh, for those seven O's, as a matter of fact. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wow. Sorry, sorry. I'm just saying. And this goes back to what I said earlier about Ann Walker calling um, Ann Lister like pony, like the, the pet name. And as far as I'm aware, there's no specific things that any historian has been able to point to to isolate the origin of this nickname for Ann Lister. But in my mind, when I think about like, you know, Ann Walker's back... And like her back pain and the fact that as we've talked with some of the listeners and things and things, that back pain has been a part of her life for a long time since she's a child and things and things. And one of the hobbies that Ann Walker has up until her death is horseback riding. And that, of course, is something that can give you back pain and different things. Yes. So, so are you following my train of thought? Are you following uh -huh, my train uh -huh, of thought? Uh -huh. Right. So 
If you have Ann Walker nickname and, and Lister Pony, perhaps it's for this reason. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's a little <laughs> <laughs> pain is pleasure. Yes. So, so she like riding on horseback wouldn't be like the most comfortable thing for Ann Walker, but she loves it. And so this is Ann Lister. She loves, like you said, in one of those episodes, ride on the Lister. So yep, I feel like she's like, is. she's like pain is pleasure, bitch. Like this hurts my back. Like I be getting cramps and my thigh be doing a thing for a whole day. But, but this is one of my however, favorite things to do. In right, fact, okay. my favorite thing to do. In fact, you're my new favorite pony, Anne. And, and Lister, I, I just want to say. <laughs> my sad And you can't tell me that Anne Walker's not a jaunty, thirsty gay because she nicknamed her woman pony. Like, tell me that's a clean joke. It's not a yeah. clean joke. It's oh, impossible babe. for it to be a clean joke. Let's do it. Oh, y'all here singing genuine? Ride it. My, my pony. My saddle is waiting. Come and jump on it. That's Alice though. <laughs> <laughs> While she TikToks, she's like, bitch, jump on this. But at the same time, like, your man keen. <laughs> right. Oh my like, God. Oh, this is so much fun. I'm, having, I'm loving that we're having all this time together. Oh my God. She's going to leave me for a man. And I just no, literally, she's like, she's like, I just gave this bitch 10 fucking orgasms. Last time I did this with Mariana, that bitch went to fuck asleep. Why the fuck is Ann Walker still awake? Why is she giving me those bedroom eyes? Why is she looking at me like she wants me to go again? <laughs> bitch, my wrist, bitch. I got to do more man's work. I got to be in the head just pulling shit because I need to work out like what the fuck this bitch I don't know how I can do for her how can I make her happy what is this woman is she a human is she real what's this man keen to an Ann Walker I knew I knew I knew Catherine matter of fact is Catherine and Ainsworth both of them together because how does she have this much thirst because this is a lister talking to herself making up shit like you know how thirsty a bitch gotta be for you to make up whole scenarios you're just inventing little shy Ann Walker. Letting nature be her guy with Catherine. Oh, hell no, Ann. Ann, listen, that's not what's happening. You're just a hot mess from the thirst. And it's lovely Lord, to watch. Lord. And every time I see a motherfucking person, an article writer or a historian, try to downplay the extreme attraction and thirst that these two women shared, obviously, on the page, it makes me mad. And it's not because I want them to be perfect. It's not because I have an expectation of their perfect relationship or that they never fought, or that they never had arguments. Because what would that, how would, how would that be real? How would that be a real relationship? And as I said before, if we can make all this space for completely imperfect, but still idolized, romanticized, what's another word? Uh, oof. Iconified, I don't, like just, just like, okay, here is this het couple and they were great and they did these great things. And you know what also makes them great? The fact that they weren't perfect. Here, let's show you their imperfection and look right. they still stayed together until the end of time are we not dealing with the same thing with these hoes it looks like we are from what i've been <gasps> watching thus far we are so people coming in saying well Anne's no angel it's who like, else in ann walker's life was being better to her than ann lister though have you seen the facts i have not you have not neither have i i've not seen it i see people calling her invalid i see people condescending her i see people being general dicks Whatever, I could scream for this all day. I'm just saying, put, put some respect on Ann Walker's name, goddammit. She was thirsty as hell, okay? I know we don't have her diaries, but can we please not erase the obvious thirst she left behind the trail of vapors that still, to this day, are somewhere in Europe. Hopefully burning bright. Burning bright. Right now. Shout out to fucking Caitlin. <laughs> A part of me wants to think that some of Ann's vapors aren't that Olympic torch that runs around. Bitch, that makes sense. Just... I don't know that the, the, the marathon they run. We need a like gay torch. To we need a gay torch. Just, just running. <laughs> the torch of all the lost quiz yes. who who passed on, but they added such jaunt 
to the world and to our lives and to academia and all that stuff and just like run it through every continent. We stand on all of your shoulders. We from really do. The the subtle and quiet queers to the big and bold for your era queers to even just women seeing how independent other women could be to the point where they're doing like those remember those rival gangs thing the rival gangs that i sent you the article where like they literally disbanded because they were being not taken seriously in the media to the point where people were making animated stories about them and making them everything that they did not want to be like it's not about us being sexy it's not about us being like provocative or selling sex or anything it's just we're just a bunch of girls we're women we are a gang the yakuza's out here we're out here too and guess Gangs, what we're, we're also um, getting i already said i'm starting my lister gang oh okay it's uh, yes. full of misandry um decoding entries that's right and um talking of gribbles so of the things she said that annoyed me one of the things that didn't was her summation of like what was happening in the grubble stages where she has a line that's basically like there was nothing that would make Ann Walker come round more easily and Lister was convinced than good sex. <laughs> and I was like, that's mostly accurate. That is, that's not, well, that's not incorrect. Know, that's I, the vibe I got. I've had a baba. Mm. Uh, shouts to you if you found some way to listen to this who basically believe that all the world problems could be saved cured resolved with some um with some hearty hearty uh sex like <sighs> it was like the answer like everyone would be less stressed less depressed you know um, right right less aggravated and more ejaculated like just it was just <laughs> a lot i was like mm. are you finished with the hair here oh lord yeah oh yeah mm-hmm she does make a note to say that Ann Walker was suffering from periods of insomnia and um, night terrors, as it were. And I'm like, oh, no, not night terrors. Those are the fucking worst. Yeah, not a fan. Not a fan of those. I personally believe that those types of things, sleeping or like night terrors, can. I mean, there's a number of psychological reasons why someone could have them. But I'm also of the thought that like the energy around you can can affect your dreams and what happens because there was a very specific time in my life where some other stuff was happening in my family life and i had a reoccurring night terror for like <laughs> two years it was awful know. but it was also the, it was always the same thing and i felt like there were bigger connotations as i got older and sort of analyzed that period that were like to do with just like the environment um and what was happening than just to do with like a random psychological reason i was having the same exact night terror for like two years horrible and i can see it play for play like because when you have a night terror you're like oh i've remembered that it's locked in could be its own little horror film all right so of the things in this book that i found intriguing was this idea this assertion that um mrs Priestley is enlister's best friend What do you think of that? Just off the top of your head. Well, it looks like Anne Lister has a new best friend and Mrs. Priestley was the last to know. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so maybe at one point, Mrs. Priestley was like the cheerleader for Anne Lister in circles. Singing I, all of Anne's praises. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, right. Yes. <laughs> so this is, this, is, this is intriguing to me for a number of reasons because first of all, just on the jump, I'm like, Anne's best friend where that where they do that at like how what is i'm trying to track back this this woman's citations to be like what did you read that was decoded or that was over here 
that you decided that this was what made the most amount of sense. Maybe she got Miss Priestley's journals. Well, okay. What? I'm gonna be mad if Miss Priestley journals survived and Ann Walker's did not. But so I okay. decided to pop in into the <laughs> right. So there's two. I feel two ways about this. On the one hand, I feel like I feel like it's absurd because in my mind, I'm like, okay, the best friend scenario is a hard thing to fill for Ann Lister because she was ultimately be her best friend well her and her and uh, Mary not that are that close no they really like they're close but not really like they're always fighting over petty shit and so that's what I mean is that to pick a best friend for Ann Lister is a little weird because she she keeps a lot to her chest because she's very prideful and she's like I can't be out here looking bad to these folks and that includes the people that are closest to her her aunt, her lovers. And so I'm like, if I had to choose in the best friend circle, the first two names that come to mind are like Mariana and Tib for obvious reasons. Um, Okay, yeah. Because to me, Tib has known her longer. Her and Tib share in similar traits in terms of, you know, perceived masculinity, how they carry themselves, tomboyishness, what have you. And as we've been able to see in the, in the diary entries, there's a type of camaraderie and openness with Anne and Tib, like we mentioned in that Gruber confession, that Tib knew Anne well enough to not ask fidelity of her when she was like, hey, come live with me. She was like, you could come live with me and I can come stay with you or you can come stay with me and then you go stay with some other bitch for half the year. And so that was her being like, I'm trying to make space for who I see you to be versus Mariana, who's like, I see that you are, are out here grumbling hoes, but I'm still going to ask for things that are relatively unrealistic, not just because of who you are, but because of the situation I'm in and I'm still asking for you not to share another bed with someone else while I share a bed. Even That's though I don't like sharing this bed, like, but I'm sharing yo. a bed. Right. So so I'm like, either one of these bitches could be the best friend because they have the longest amount of history. Poor Liza was put into the asylum, Steph's asylum. And so those are the, the two best runners up. And I also want to say that one of the other main reasons that Ann Lister more than likely kept into contact with these women throughout the years, despite the things that went on in the drama was not just because of social conventions, but because like, if you're a queer and you run into another queer, like you need to hold on to that queer in your life. It's a small ass motherfucking circle. So that being said, that's the flip side of me potentially wanting to indulge in this Mrs. Priestley theory, because you know that I feel like Mrs. Priestley wanted to grumble, that she was aware to some extent about the grumbles. So it's interesting to me that this historian also believes that Mrs. Priestley knew about the grubbles. And instead of, you know, saying that she's upset because of like Jesus or scruples, <laughs> they're saying she's upset because of the money. And if that's the case, I would go one step further and say, if this is if this is the road that we're going to go on for the theory, I'm going to say it's the grubbles. It is, you know, okay, okay, okay. It's like the meme you showed me is that if you out here grubbling a bitch and she's over there and right. I don't got to see it, Right. I just have to hear about it and then think about me fantasizing. But it's like that meme you showed me where she's like, right in front of right my salad? Right salad? here in Halifax? <laughs> right here at Lydgate! At Lydgate! I live right. in Lydgate! This is right. where I live, bitch! Really? You grubbing a hoe that's not me in right. front of me. Right. And Anne's like, I'm not grubbing in front of you. She's like, it might as well be. Might as, might as well be grubbing. In fact, could you guys, could I set up an appointment to watch? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> that's not, it's not with the Lord. Right, so Miss <laughs> Priestley got a is noticing that Alice has a new best friend and she's not okay with it because she thought that she best friend wasn't the running. For right. Yeah. No. She's I, like, well, you know, and my husband's rather old, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> if, so uh, if, if, you know, for some reason I would be left to all of this, you know, I I definitely don't see myself as bearing again. I'm I'm definitely beyond the point of wanting to you know, but carry children. Do you think Miss Priestley went her whole life I'm waiting for educator. a sympathetic rebel? I'm an educator. <laughs> 
She is an educator. So, like, we we have these things. We are learned. We will be learned landed ladies who will just not bear children. And after my husband, <laughs> I'm not remarrying. So, so she thought that she was next wait. So, line. which of these, which of these priestly theories do you prefer? And considering we can't confirm it, we can just go with throne, it. And then oh she noticed okay. that there was a new front runner, and she lost it. So, so we're casting potentially Mrs. Priestley as like that older, repressed lesbian who is doing the longing thing, which is a very lesbian queer woman thing to do long from afar for a long period of time. And that potentially she was getting her entire life every time she flirted with Anne, which yes. if we go off the actress who portrays her in the show, that's exactly what we get that every time yes. she sees Anne Lister, she is beaming. She is bright. She is like, girl, did you see I did my curls, especially for you? Not for this fool. I see this fool every day. That's my <laughs> husband. He don't matter. I did these curls for and you. And young Anne Walker was like, wait, who? Tell me more. Tell me more. She Tell was like, companion. What you said? <laughs> I feel like I know the meaning to companion, but the way you say it. Look at Ooh, the light into the eyes of the invalid when I talk about Miss Lister. Let me tell you all about the daring tales. See, if Eliza knew better, she would have she would have talked a little bit less. Uh, okay. To get Ann Walker all excited. Uh, I mean, literally. I mean, Ann Walker. I believe. I believe to have a vivid memory because look at what look yeah. at what look at the torment she's putting herself through right now, imagining hangings in York. So she was like, uh huh, uh huh. Let me just picture this right quick. Okay, <laughs> let me update my fantasies from when I was nineteen and I chased after Miss Lister out of breath and shit because I was just like, I just want to grace my eyes with the vision of you one last time and ask you to come to tea. Just, just you know, this is that same Ann Walker, man. And still, people want to say she's not gay. What? I was just so. Uh, How are we all reading and studying about the same women? I, I mean, sometimes it definitely doesn't feel like it. So I, I just, uh, not to discredit anybody's work, but you tell me this, this, you know, but you tell me she didn't decode we're anything. anything. We're in a, right, I'm not under the impression that she decoded. I'm under, from what I've been able to to ascertain and confirm, she has sourced um, the other historians, and her she's the most recent publishing. I read an article that says she has a, a book in German. I want to say the title was Traveling in Time, though it's evidently a German title. I was looking for it. I can understand some German. It's really bad. But it's so close to English, the structure of, of the German language. I can I can do pretty well. Anyway, I've not found it. And so I'm curious because it's supposed to do with later a later period in Anne's life than the books I'm currently I've currently read and of course new books that are in the works with Helena Whitbread and stuff that are focusing more on the ends because obviously people want that fucking content and there's still tons of stuff that needs to be transcribed. I'm sorry. What was the, why did I start saying this? I forget the entry point into this. My statement. Uh, where was I? I think I said something along the lines. Hang on. I'm usually good. Oh, you were asking if she did the decoding herself, right? Was right. That- yeah, so I I don't have the impression that she did, but I do feel like there's another book out there just in German that hasn't been published in English, so I have not been able to get my hands on. And of course, there's other books in the works by some of the authors we know and ones we don't. And I say more, more, more. Yes, give us the. Where's things. my book on Anne Walker? Like I know there's not a lot of information. I, I just want someone to write it. I just, Walker. but I just. Your 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 Anne Walker information starved like she was touched starved her entire goddamn right, like life. Right, like the, the okay. parched. Starved as Anne Walker, and you're not as thirsty as she is. Like, how do how do you how do you exist around a family? I don't think anybody that doesn't even want to hug you, right? And say they love you, and you finally get an Anne Lister who's like invalid. Where don't ever let me go. Literally, she's like, stop 
touching Literally, me. she's like, I go into crisis when you leave me because yes. you are that fantastic. And yes. I am so fucked up with this whirlwind of emotions that I can't make things make sense except, could we get back to the grubbles? Could we, could you come a little bit closer? <laughs> and Anne was like, bitch, you too manky. Oh, you want to see me naked? Bitch, when you become my wife. And I understand that Anne Lister was like, okay, propriety, propriety. But I really feel like a part of her was like, this bitch so thirsty. I got to keep something away from her. Or how will she take me? You know, it's like the the patriarchal bullshit of don't buy the milk or don't, what is it? Don't get the cow for the milk. What is it the men say? Oh yeah, something like, yeah, don't buy the cow and you can get the milk for free. Right, right. So it's some weird (sighs) inversion of that patriarchal nonsense where Anne Lister's like, oh, so you trying to... (laughs) I mean... You trying to get the milk for free, bitch? I mean, I'm not... (laughs) She's like, I don't wear my strap (laughs) 24-7. So Did you say strap? Yeah, I don't wear sir, my strap 24 Sir, this seven. is not the Killing Eve podcast. We out here talking about straps. Hey, I but mean... What Lister, well, see, that's actually... You bring that up. And from what we know, and from Ann Lister's ideas about, like, using things um, in sex, because, well, phalluses and things of that nature yep. to aid in sexual activity have been around for as long as humans were like, a wheel! So... It's like... <laughs> here's this thing. Where's my shoehorn? So there's... So <laughs> so technically, maybe Ann Lister would not be interested in using a strap-on, but at the same time, I wonder if her ideas of what to use in, in lesbian sex would have evolved with her ideas of, like, the patriarchy and the woman's body and man-keen. I hope actually so. Actually being gay as fuck and being like, oh, oh, let me switch it up. Because I'm also of the thought that, personally, because Ann Lister's such a pleaser, that if Ann Walker was ever like, look, I read this book and I saw this thing. And because I'm rich, I bought it already. And it's here. Can we? Yeah. I would Ann Lister, would she, two, in your mind, would she skip six. to her scruples and be like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. A fine, prideful woman like me does not use toys. Or would she be like, Lord, you know, I don't know how I'm supposed to satisfy this bitch. Oh, so now she got, oh, she has apparatus. Great. Sure, babe. <laughs> it all but, started with the shoehorn, and now we are on to tongue depressors. Did you say a shoehorn? Now, now we're on to the... tongue depressors. I just threw something at Terrence, you guys. I can't believe you. <laughs> tongue depressors. Bitch, what the fuck? You made me lose my joke. You took me all the way out with that tongue depressor, Lord. I don't even remember what the fuck I was going to say. <laughs> Oh my God! What was I just saying? That's I really uh, lost oh, it. I that, really yeah, lost it. And Walker bought uh, the the apparatuses and was okay, like, yes. "Okay, okay." So I think because Anne is always trying to please that worst case scenario, she does it anyway. But bitches about in her diaries. Yeah, like she's like, "Oh yeah, babe, we you the toys." And then in the diary, she's like, "Yo, I don't even." You know what? You know what? It's because she's man keen, and I can never right. do enough for her. But I, I did it. But I did it, right. and I did I it for did eight this hours. Thing, and for the first time, I watched her occur across and I felt nothing. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Like for the wait first a minute. Time, what oh. did you just suggest? Are you suggesting that Ann Lister is watching Ann Walker incur right. across? And wait, wait. If she's I doing, like that scenario. If she's doing I enjoy, it. Since, I enjoy that since scenario. Since she feels but... removed from this toy that she's, this is not, you know. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait. A minute. Let me go back. So is Ann Walker incurring the cross with the with the toy? Is that what you're suggesting? No. Yes. And Ann Lister's applying the toy. Wait a minute. <laughs> Ann Lister. Is Ann Lister the voyeur or is she the no, participator? She's. It's her hand. Oh. <laughs> I was all the way confused. I thought you said Ann Lister was watching Ann Walker and Curl oh, Cross. Oh, no, no, no. So no. that to me suggested voyeurism, which I was like, oh, that's. I mean, that's that could nice be a lane. But I feel like um, it Let may me decode have began every page. with some voyeurism. And she was like, come and take the wheel. And then so Ann Lister. Oh, right. Now we are getting all the way into the fantasy scenarios. So you're suggesting that Ann Walker was like, I'm, this is a, a player one. And now yeah. I'm bringing in player two. Yeah. 
Like her hands tired. I now. would suggest to you. I would suggest to you <laughs> that if Ann Walker was fooling around like that. It won't matter what book Ann Lister was reading. Eventually, she'd put it down and be like, oh, I see. <laughs> Your man keen enough. <laughs> I can never do enough for this help. Looks like me. I got to go right. put some hours in. Let me right. tape up my wrist she real quick. Me. Right, it's right. an Ann Walker session. I've Who knows how long this shit going to take. tunnel. Eugenie, <laughs> don't bother knocking for six hours. You know how we, you know how it goes with right. Ann Walker. The Yaw. usual arrangement. <laughs> I love how you're wrapping your hand still. If you can see right. Terrence miming his hand, he's still the wrapping it. Because you need a lot of tape on your Ann Lister yes. to secure the wrist when you're trying to go in for Ann Walker. Uh, who's and that? Not what die. was that? Was that Tina Fey's character in Mean Girls? Where it was like, <laughs> <laughs> how was how was your summer, uh, but, um, girl? <laughs> Stressful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh god! Okay, so yelling for forty minutes about Ann Walker's fist, right on brand for us. I mean, well, yeah, right on brand for us, the gentleman Jack Crack. You know, it just occurred to me too. I had made this note that Ann Walker is obviously the quieter of the two women. And what do we know about quiet people, shy people? Is that in the bedroom, in the boudoir, um, the turn up? Is okay. The the freak nasty, the pervy of the two is usually yeah, but it's the more the docile one. one, right? Because the phrase docile is, always, is heavy quotations because right. the docility it's disappears right. in the bedroom. So you're like, oh, you're power bottom. When the fuck did that happen? So like people notice when you go from sixty to eighty. But you notice it more when you go from zero to eighty. Oh it's, sure, right? Know, whiplash, like that's is... where mankeen comes from. Right. That's why I have a shirt that says mankeen because that just means really, 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 really gay. Yeah, that's what that means. I'm sorry. Were you saying something else? I just keep screaming no, no, about but Ann it's Walker's true. gayness because like, it, no, not enough people scream about it. Whip, whiplash, Lash. whiplash. Literally, Ann Walker's like, "Bitch, I don't know. Bitch, I don't know. Bitch, I don't know." And the next second, she's like. I was about to say something real dirty. I don't know. <laughs> it's too dirty for this podcast. I'll omit it. But she was saying some shit. Right. She was like, bitch. And I think it was a little bit raunchier than something Mariana would have said. Friday. And Alyssa was like, oh. She's like, what? Making, bitch. What? <laughs> you know what? The patriarchy told me about women like you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about women with endless pits of desire. Tell me about women who just want to fuck all the time. First of all, who the fuck do you think you are? I'm Ann Lister. I thought it was me who wanted to fuck all the time, but now I just met another bitch who actually wants to fuck all the time. I don't have to talk into it. I don't have to inspire her to fall on my knee. She's like, bitch, can I get on the knee? It's three. Can I sit on the knee, please? I need it. It's been 45 minutes since I've last been on your Right, knee. which is why it, I love the line when um, she's like, oh, it seems that my niece is taking very kindness to you. She's like, well, I mean... Uh, to be more honest, I really feel like it's <laughs> me who's like, <laughs> taking well, kindly to her, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, here's what here's a cheers to the quiet ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. Y'all know who you are out there, listeners. And we I'm sure it. you're shaking your head right now like, girl, she is telling the truth. She's trying to spill our tea. <laughs> it's already spilled, quiet ones. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. It's already spilled. It's already spilled. And I say that as a mostly a quiet one because I'm an observer. Like, I'm loud as fuck on this podcast, but that's why I'm with you in the thing. But I'm mostly observer. I like to sit back, watch, observe, take notes, ruminate, ponder before I have something to say. But um, yeah, no. Did I just expose myself? Did I just I give mean, tea on knows? myself? Who knows? I mean, I too may be someone who's taking notes in this immediate Good, take moment. Take the tea. Just I'm spill the tea to, on right. yourself. Don't I'm, let me have you. Don't have me spilling tea right. on my own self. I'm just trying to figure out if I'm the Lista or the Walker in the relationship. And as soon as I figure that out, 
Bitch, I'm you know, both. We can advance. I really do That's think that so I'm both. That's what's so beautiful about this but... story is that there are aspects of both in both because yes. I have a very strong, assertive personality. I've been that way. But also the other side of like being quiet, of being unsure of yourself, of being anxious or like, oh, like that's what's so great about this fucking show and these real life women is that I think it's impossible to not find something you can relate to in the two of them, especially if you're queer, obviously. But just as a, just as a human where you're like these fears, these concerns, these uh, issues with faith, these issues with myself, my self-esteem, what I want, my future, how I handle depression and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I feel like we've said it so many times, like, I'm like Ann Lister because, or I'm like Ann Walker because, but that's sort of like the thing. That's probably why we love it so much because you can see yourself in these humans that are completely different from us, literally from background, time period, all that shit. And yet the gay remains, the queerness that persists. It's, it knows no millennia is what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that we could find a story about year one about a jaunty gay and I'm quite sure there will be certain things in common <laughs> that have stood the test of time. Baby theory about uh, Anna from Killing Eve, which I won't get into here because it's Killing Eve. But all those letters, all those oh. notes, all those okay, journals. Look, 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 look. Like, <laughs> look, look, look. I already said to you. I've, the fact that she was a scholar in, I've in the not university. known a gay <laughs> that did not write a note or two. Just, like, and certainly when I look at the women who just sort of like, I don't know, captured my psyche and had me raptured in my adolescence were all diarists as well, who had their words on page. And two of my favorites, of course, because everyone about this knows it's about me, Anna Eastman and Virginia Woolf. Discovered them very early. Was like, these women seem queer. Had some actual academic Academic types tell me that Virginia Woolf was not, and uh, I I laugh ha, 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 to see all the conjecture about Virginia Woolf all these years later from when I was in motherfucking middle school to be like, well, would you look at that? Now it's undeniable to say that Virginia Woolf is queer. Look at those fucking letters. But then being like then, and I, I wonder if it's like queerception where it's like you read people who you know are queer. And you're like, oh, well, that was really smart. And so you want to do it too versus the natural queerness inside of you that writes letters? Because my mom says I was a letter writer in general, especially if I were to get in trouble. Like my mom would be like, Candace, what are you doing? The best way for me to like get out of that with my mom would be to word it really well in a letter. Mm. So I would do that all the time. If I'm in trouble, slipping a letter on my mom's door and giving a fantastically written apology. And then, of course, as I would start to date people, that. And I, I have an affinity for writing letters. That's, that's it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I like, I like. This. So you write I feel letters. like, yeah. Well, now it's devolved to text messages, but then it goes into emails. So letter writing and like painting a picture or taking a photograph because that's such a gay trope. Draw me like one of your French. Guests. I can write letters. I cannot take pictures. I don't care how good the equipment I have. I'll find a way to take the shittiest version of that photo <laughs> with the technology at my disposal. Technology and I rarely get along. That's cute. I'm I'm more of a stationary type. It's usually what happens to me because I'm so good at tech that I just end up partnering with people who are awful, awful at tech. And it's both adorable and ridiculous like, to be the... <laughs> like, what the fuck? I said, no, what kind of photo? Did you even zoom? Like, <laughs> Where the flash at? Oh, there's flash. Like, They'll be like, did you check the ISO? You're like, bitch, what the fuck is the ISO? And you're like, oh, okay, my bad. Did you want the HD version of the photo? <laughs> I don't know. They offer it portrait mode. <laughs> Yeah, you don't, you're you're just like, fuck that. Oh, yeah. I don't, we'll see what you think about this phrasing. So remember episode four and Walker has her 
I've been gay speech where she mentions that oh, she yes. felt repugnance towards forming connection with the other sex. So From since uh, was we left. Yeah. Mm. Yes. So in her book, Angela Stito writes, after a good two weeks of sex with Ann Lister, she also felt repugnant to forming any connection with the other sex. Um, what? Why would why do why you get why her- you like this? I don't understand. I mean, I do, but I don't because I'm just like, that doesn't sound right. This is why we Does so, it sound right to you? We source multiple historians. The way that it's worded to me, I don't know how you read it, but the way it's worded to me is basically saying that she only felt repugnant towards forming a connection with the other sex right. because she'd been fucking Ann Lister for two weeks. Okay. What? But it's still wrong. It's still the wrong way to go about all of that. I don't know why it was written that way. Right, 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 right. So, as I believe I've mentioned before, in the diaries, actual real life account of Ann Lister. And Ann Walker, Ann Walker evidently received many anonymous letters that were talking shit about Ann Lister. Right, from and concerned so, neighbor. <laughs> concerned haters of Halifax. And so the diaries, as far as I've been able to discern, don't really go into specifics about these things. It's just hinted at mm-hmm. in entries made by Ann Lister. And I'm just going to say that, like, I was trying, I was like, how do I want to wear this? But, like, when we were joking, even though in the episode it's more than one day that happens, that Ann Lister basically has, like, one really bad day. That is basically in real life because in the same day that she's having emotional drama with Ann Walker is also the same day that a bloke, a wretch, appears from nowhere and does something to her. Yeah, it was all gross. And then Huck and Spit and all this stuff. It was gross. Yes. And what had me, um, I guess, curious was the writer, Angela Steedle's note that Ann Walker was unsettled by such attacks and by reading homophobic Bible passages. Ann Walker could not fully enjoy the sex she so desired with Ann. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, I've not seen anything in particular in the diary entries I've read thus far. But like, what, like, what do you think that means? Because there's not, there's not some plethora of homophobic it, Bible not, passages. Uh, it's, that's and, fake and, news. And there's no, there's no, there, there is no, like you know, if you don't count the, you know, man shall not, shall not lie, like with woman with another man. But then there's not, you know, that like that. That's more. It's there isn't any to my knowledge. I mean, there's and, no. Go ahead. I mean, I remember a lot of. I mean, maybe because of. Like I didn't go to Catholic school, but I've I've felt like I've turned my share of pages. So, um, and a lot of things. Oh, maybe this is like pre uh, pre updated, like pre King James, maybe even pre maybe the versions of the Bible that they had out the the older versions. Maybe there's more like homophobia in it, or that there used to be. Perhaps that's the only thing I can think mm. of, but I can I don't see myself with like a short list of things that I definitely I don't. It's not in my lexicon. Not not all of the here's everything gay that was in the Bible as far as the don't do it goes, and it, I right. don't have that because I'm just trying to think of what people say. I know they say Genesis, and that's the whole you know infamous Sodom, Sodom uh, and Gomorrah. Uh-huh. They were origin it up in biblical times, and then there's like Leviticus. Right, wherever all the laws are. 
Yes. Don't lies. Don't whatever. But then I, I always have like issues with the translations and things and things and things, especially when you see some of these modern Bible translations with actual homosexuality. And it's like, bitch, that word didn't exist. Right. So what are you what are you saying? How are you saying? What did it mean? My voice keeps getting No, but it's the truth. Higher. It's like it, you're just trying to... It's all control. It's all control. Just let people have their joy. I deserve some, deserve some yeah, joy. Yeah, I was just Googling and I was like, okay, this other article says First Corinthians, but I'm like, First Corinthians? I think that's the man lie with man. You know, it's like fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves. I feel like he's saying sodomites. problematic men, men are trash. Like, again, but that's my misandry speaking. Let me know. No, but it sounds like he's throwing all these men in a he's loop. He's all the men in the bus. Yes. So, I mean, even when people talk about that, I'm like, if God was so mad about grubbling, bro, when he was wilding out, when God was like, I got shit to say on the mountain, when Moses done took the bitches out of uh, Egypt to the promise, well, en route to the promised land. It took a while. took a while. How come it wasn't first on the list? 40 years how come, later. How come it wasn't first on the list? If it was so pressing of a matter. I mean, I'm just, I just feel like if any, if it was such a pressing matter, right? Surely Old Testament God, which was like the God with the least amount of chill yep. and the most amount of shade, that Old Testament God would have been like, yo, put that shit first line, first line. Cause I, ooh, ooh, ooh. I can't stand it with these jaunting gays. I, they need to know that it's against the rules. But there ain't no rules like that. He was like, um, thou shalt not have men trash. Men shall not be trash. Not my men. Not God's man. No. Stop being trash. It's like, stop, stop killing being trashy. each other. He's like, stop being trashy. Stop looking at other bitches. Stop trying to steal another hoe. Right. I mean, that's not your hoe. Okay? Don't even think about stealing another hoe. Because really, God spoke to the hats three times. He was like, don't cheat. Don't even think about cheating. And don't think about thinking about cheating, honestly. Right. Just don't do anything to do with what you had to normally up to. All right? Sodom and Gomorrah was... You can't convince me that Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't mostly full of the heads. Oh, uh, no. More than way, definitely. It was, was it the gays? The gays were turning up in there? I don't no. think so. Nah. Oh, yeah. Lord thy God before me. Images. Lord's name in vain. Sabbath. Thou shalt not kill. Adultery. Right. That, that's probably like the first uh, commandment. Nah. Isn't the first commandment... Um, What you call it? Uh... I am the Lord thy God. <laughs> yeah, so that happened to God. You know what just yours happened, right? Charlton Heston. <laughs> <laughs> no other gods before me. And I have to say to this, I have to say this honestly and truthfully. I do have a deep love in my heart for the Ten Commandment movie because I just, I do. It makes me think of the Columbia House. Uh... Right. <laughs> like they don't make big Hollywood movies like that anymore. Yeah, no. We're just thousands of people on set and these huge freaking things and pieces and whatever. And Charlton Heston, he got that more than once. He got Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur. And I like both uh, those movies oh, for yes. the production value in them because, well, I do. He's basically like, don't steal, don't cheat, don't murder. Right. It's all about men being trash. Don't lie. Yep. It's all. Don't try uh -huh. to, don't want your neighbor's wife. Right. Shall not covet that neighbor's wife. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't want your neighbor's shit. He was like, don't be a jealous bitch. For everything. Love uh, what you got, hoe. Right. Stop. Just stop being trash garbage. <laughs> He's like, what are men? Uh -huh. that, was, that, was, that was the Ten Commandments. Hashtag, what y'all. What y'all motherfuckers doing down there? Son of Adam. Like, what is the... What the how, how, Lilith yeah, was like, those ain't mine. I gave you... you <laughs> Lilith had, was like, I don't claim those. You have I don't claim sauce. those men. You I claim the, the women on the planet. I don't claim the men on the planet. <laughs> I only claim the women. Oof. 
Oh my goodness. Then here we go. Stop murdering. Stop the adultery. See, all the, stop and it's like stealing. adultery. That like, was one of the sins that Ann Walker was suffering with with Aceworth. Adultery. Right. Stop stealing. Stop all this. Stop being false. Well, stop lying. Like, just, just. Okay, I didn't see guys say stop jaunting. Right. No. Don't no, be a jaunty not, bitch. That ain't there. That's not the tip. Yeah, see, there's no, there's no lines about not being a jaunty mm-hmm. bitch. It was basically just stop being trash. And... And that that statement holds true today. Will, to will, will men stop being trash? Tune in tomorrow at eight to find out that no, no, they won't. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Uh, um, so just in general, I didn't like the way she sums up the whole Ainsworth drama because it seems to just not include the nuance of social pressures, how shitty Ainsworth had to be as a person because he was both a reverend and married and still got on with this awful pressure of Ann Walker. God damn it! Like, what the fuck? I guess what makes me laugh is anytime I see a notation of Ann Walker not being into shabby little Shibden, it makes me laugh. Because, to be fair, <laughs> Cronest is fly as hell. It and definitely so, is. This book goes a step further to say that, you know, Ann Walker was accustomed to very different comforts to Ann Lister and hoped to live at Cliff Hill after her aunt's death. So Cliff Hill Ooh. is where Aunt Ann Walker is at, not Cronest. So she's saying that Ann Walker was like, let me, let me, let me upgrade myself when auntie dies and let me move into her fucking space. <laughs> <laughs> so when Ann Lister was uh, like, you come to Shibden, she was like, but actually, I've been dreaming about going to Cliff Hill for like five years, but waiting for auntie to croak. And now you're trying to say, I can't have my extra high ceilings because Shibden is your ancestral uh, home. Uh, generationally. So yeah, there's a couple of lines here that took me by storm. This has to do with the time period that we are currently in around the time that Anne is ordering the ring from York. So I'll just read a couple lines here. And this is after the statement of Anne Walker not being able to fully enjoy the sex she so desired with Anne. She has a quick excerpt from a passage here. I guess that's relevant for where we are in the entry since most of what happens in episode five, a little bit of episode six, is the months of November and December after we get to the end of October which is where a lot of our entries were in the last historical nightcap, October. End of September to October, and now we're in essentially November to December timeline. Maybe by the end of this, we we will all have a, a, a dash of a, of expertise in being uh, some, like, Listerians. I don't know what to call ourselves, but we'll, we'll know enough of the timeline that we can True. definitely speak towards the events and surrounding media that supports the text. The surrounding media that supports the text will paint a clearer picture versus us or anyone really just believing anything that someone with the moniker of historian is just saying. So when several people have the subject in mind and heart, you can uh-huh. see where the blend is, where people all agree, where people disagree. And yes, we can find moments fascinating, but we can call things out as flat out wrong or flat out um off the mark if there is a trajectory if there is enough she outright says that ann lister gave false declarations of love to ann walker and i'm like but how is it a false declaration of love if she writes in her journal privately where no one can see or read but her in her code that she really thinks she's falling in love with ann walker more than one occasion how is she making false declarations of love if to herself in her private time it does not read as false I just maybe people are missing the see this is what happens when you don't go day to day like when you don't see the rise and the fall and then the rise again where it's 
manic where it's like, oh, I love everything. Oh, I hate everything. Oh, this isn't going to work. Oh, no, but I really want this to work. Let me read you the whole paragraph so you can see the context. So where we had left off was the mankeen business and and thinking to herself in her diary that Miss Walker is saying these are the reasons why she doesn't want to take me and doesn't want to grubble. But I really think it's about the fact that she's mankeen and she's had other experiences and I can't do enough for her. I can't satisfy her, which <laughs> no. So the book says, and thought in spite of all her declarations to the contrary, I begin to suspect he, Mr. Ainsworth has really deflowered and enjoyed her when they made love and always had the feeling she must have some man or other and that she could never satisfy her against her usual way. And Lister had not so far used her euphemism kiss when writing about Ann Walker, instead speaking only of gently grubbling. They had not yet been truly uninhibited and passionate with one another. Quote from Ann Lister's diaries, said to myself as I left her, what a goose she is. How can such a girl make me happy? The cooler Ann Lister became, the more honest she was towards Ann Walker. And here's the line. This proved more successful than all her false declarations of love and attempts at emotional blackmail. Emotional blackmail? Who is this? Uh, why are they, this is... Yeah, I don't... Uh, I, I just have questions about why emotional blackmail was a term that we had to use. <laughs> Again, I feel like people put themselves into their research sometimes. Like, like I just, okay, and here's, here's where actually, this line right here. Anne had not so far used her euphemism kiss when writing about Anne Walker, instead speaking only of gently grubbling. Only of gently grubbling. Only, that's the, that's the part of the sentence I have a problem with. Only of gently grubbling. If there's an only in front of grubbling, when the science shows that grubbling is the actual fucking sex for women. What the, someone, some, please, I need help. Like, so, only, 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 someone help. Total help me saying because I am confused. <laughs> anyway, um, if you guys want to chime in with your thoughts on on what I just screamed about with only grubbles, I'm just curious about what other people think. I'm curious about people trying to put like levels to Ann Lister fucking women and whether or not it was fucking. You know, it's was it like only grubbles? Was it only about the money? Or was there penetration? <laughs> was there penetration? <laughs> when you're the baby gate entering the Elysian fields of grubbles. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you're just like, oh my God. It's like, it's like that fucking annoying child in Willy Wonka where you just want to taste everything. You're yes. like, grubble here, grubble there, grubble, grubble everywhere. In the morning, in the night, before lunch, after lunch, before brunch, during brunch. Right. <laughs> dinner, after yes. dinner, the movie theater, the opera. No, but um, uh, shout out to that listener. You know who you are who said you're going to try the opera for a grubble location. Ooh. And I thank Ooh. you for using me as your inspiration. Please go forth and grubble prosperously in the opera. And if you should be so inclined to also get tickets to uh, Jagalow Pill the musical <laughs> so that you truly I can. I are going to the Met so Opera. There's other opera houses. No, no. So that, that you truly can go down with her in the theater. Oh! <laughs> oh! Ah! 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 See... Now you just want me to knock some off the bucket list. Just, you know I'm, I'm just so saying. way too petty to hear that shit. on stage. <laughs> no, no. No, no. You've said it, and now it makes so okay, much sense. See? It makes so much freaking sense. I'm just saying. Turns out she was perverted like me. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Two grebbling perverts in love. Oh, my goodness. Ultimately, this book, like all of the books about Enlista, 
is very intriguing. And of course, I would recommend everyone who is interested in learning everything they can about Ann Lister to read this book as well by Angela Steedle. I, I think it's very important to get all the information from all the sources and then, you know, come to your own conclusions as you may. Right. I want to commend and and thank Angela Titos for uh, definitely taking time out of uh, out of her to to take the time to dedicate to want to have a perspective on the exciting life that was Han Lester, and then to be able to write about it and to share the, your product with the masses. It's getting everyone talking. So this is this is ultimately the the absolute best that I could wish for anyone because um. You don't want to, you know, undersell the fact that, yes, there was a lot of effort and work that, that did get put into this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's like that movie I said where, like, if it's the only book you read, it can form a pretty strong opinion. Yes. I just feel like it does the reader a disservice for context because that's what I was looking for when I started reading all the books after the show was that I saw people online saying, well, oh, you know, this relationship wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And so I was curious myself, but I like to form my own opinion. So I was like, well, I have to read all the stuff so I can have my own opinion about what I think this was. And so I went into the books looking to validate what I'd already seen people said that, oh, Endless was just about the money. And in my head, I was like... Can a gay bitch who wants to be on a grubble really about the money? But let me see what these people are talking about. And then when I got into the diary entries, I'm like, yeah, like she's interested in these other things because life is life. But she's looking for a wife. She's looking for a girl. And she's gay as fuck. And she enjoys women. She enjoys their bodies. She enjoys flirting. She enjoys giving them pleasure. So to try and act like there's some sort of divorcing that happens from desire and you know, the want of money or security to me is absurd, especially when those same considerations aren't done for men. Right. <sighs> preaching to the choir but i'm just like yo when are they gonna put some respect on ann walker's name that's all we're asking when are they gonna for put some respect on her name and i mean we'll mention this before we close out but a listener suggested that we have an ann walker holiday they said the 5th of october i'm down for that shit because not enough people put respect on her fucking name actually if it wasn't for her but also ann lister because again she had to protect the books for ann lister but ann lister had to write the shit otherwise she would completely be lost to history just like her family wanted so you know Nobody what? knowing about the Grubbles. I, I like this. You know, get rid of Columbus Day and then just give me a walking day. I'll take it. Columbus Days are already gone. For oh, me? is it? All right, no, so, for me. Yeah, and then, well, for me. Indigenous People's Day. Like, just give me, like, take that day. You no, know, it's that precocious holiday. kid in elementary school. Christopher Columbus was uh, a rapist. <laughs> oh, no, no. Columbus. Listen, no, no, no. I was, wait. He was a pedophile. I was, I was worse. I was, um... The, uh, do your holiday poem for the school assembly <laughs> when the with the chancellors and the districts oh were coming God. for when they were providing funding and it's like this is my report <laughs> christopher columbus christopher columbus brought disease <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was that was just who who i was no that was the same i spent like they set my ass so many times the dean's office they'd be like Candace what are you saying again it's like why can't I it's facts though like yeah. I don't feel like I should get in trouble for facts like I feel like this is a school and I should be rewarded for positive information for correct information not punished for volunteering it oh don't let the holidays come around all the all the oh, Santa Claus Lord. there was nope nope I definitely probably told everybody that Santa wasn't real and again over a microphone i was like why did he let me speak i mean my grades were good i think that's what it was like it was like he does good work but you should <laughs> ask me ask me first off the mic first and what like like don't just have me up there and do things like that was that was wow mm. um so 
And please, just because she's blunt about some shit, like I feel like Helena Webred can be really like sort of like I don't want to say nice, but just sort of riding the fence. On well, she's older, so she kind of reminds me of a grandma figure, where she just like she she relays the scenario more prettily, mm. where you know Angela Steedle's like reached for her ovaria and so you know it's just like it got it it's okay. a bluntness that exists in her books that can be off-putting sometimes especially if you're a fan of Ann Lister and you're like I don't like that why did you call her a beast what's that about because she does refer to Ann Lister as a beast and I and I just I'm not down ever with framing a woman pursuing other women within the realm of the patriarchy right like oh she's a womanizer she is a philanderer you know she is a seducer but in the way that men seduce because all those men have their actions informed in the weight of the patriarchy behind them all i see is a woman who was trying to find a wife and yes. until there was a ring on her finger and a bitch in her home she did not see that she had to be have fidelity on display and certainly why expect it if the person you're primarily committed to ultimately is not doing fidelity she was either. living a bachelor's lifestyle she was she was living a bachelor's lifestyle and she was endeavoring to the wall for it to me it's like she saw pretty women all the time and even women that she was like she's I, and she's still like can I get a grumble that's gay that's gay and considering the limited opportunities that Ann Lister would have had to explore these things because oh social arrangements oh I have to make this call I have to do this there's so much what did we expect of a super gay gay who knew about their queerness from when they were a child I mean just like this type of behavior where she's supposed to be like twiddling her thumbs looking for a wife just hoping the wife approaches her randomly no. asking for a grubble take your grubbles where you can get them girl girl you exactly. see that door life is short you open it right. and her life was not that long she lived less time than Charles Charles motherfucking law in. So she is. I'm glad she got every grubble Charles she could. Charles outlived how to spite. Charles was like. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, Charles was like, like watch me outlive these grubbles. Right. right. Is that a gentle. <laughs> Mariana, you lucky I don't hate you as much. Oh, I will outlive you too. Well, you know, he couldn't do that. Poor Mariana. Don't take me back to my one woman play about Mariana. Years. Right. right. It's been 84 years. I really do hope that Mariana got a, a late, a late in life grubble. I, I'm not going to go off into that tangent, but um, we'll save that for another day. But I have a whole lot of feelings where that's concerned by someone who's not in Lister, just to clarify. But yeah, so just to close out this section, definitely don't go into this book expecting like the most you know, showering version of, of a book tale by Ann Lister, because it's definitely not that. It does have other stuff that Helena Whitbread or Jill LinkedIn and Choma do not really focus on as heavily in their books. It definitely is more to the point about some of the sexual things and um, perhaps the judgment on display for Ann Lister will give you more insight into some of these interpersonal relationships she had with other women and lovers. And um yeah, just have all the stuff. I know we'd love to hear your guys' feedback on some of this stuff. Like, right. do you have you read Angela's book? Do you have similar opinions? Like, what do you think about phrases like only a grubble? So I don't really know. I just like all of these works of Ann Lister, all these these books written about Ann Lister. I love to discuss it. And because it is a an obsession that has been for the past several months and has not ended and doesn't show any signs to ending. And so I'm just, I'm always super curious to hear all the the opinions and the feedback and the thoughts and the many conclusions people come to with regards to her life and stuff. But one thing I will always argue is the fact that she was more concerned with Ann Walker's money than she was with Ann Walker's Mathis. <laughs> like you can't convince me of that. Right. Sorry. She was too gay. Again, check out Miss Barlow, check out a fixated Mrs. Milne. Not possible. That's on that for this part. Any final words? Good sir. On Angela Steedle's book. Uh, I know that patriarchy's patriarchy's well, well, a bitch. Uh, yeah. But one day it too shall become making. 
Wait, you said the patriarchy? <laughs> Wait, what? You just fucked me yes, up. Yes, patriarchy too. One day shall become male king. Are you, you sound like you're talking about the rise of misandry. Well. That's just what I want. <laughs> a matriarchy. You just had me flash back to that panel with the meninists. And I'm like, don't ever put Candace on a panel like that. It will get... No, but again, our idea that make it a spend. <laughs> I I just want to be jaunty I, against the bigots. But listen. yes, we got to do it just to see right. what happens. What right. happens? Two whole minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. There goes the eye twitch at eight seconds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Hey, guys. Welcome to our first intermission. <laughs> intermission? What's that? What's that? So... As you might already be aware, this is the longest fuck episode. You guys have made it nearly three hours in and um, <laughs> we're only halfway halfway through. And that's why there's an intermission and why this episode is late is that on top of us being sick, this edit was ridiculous. Yeah. Nearly six hours of, of Amlista and then Walker content. What the fuck are we doing? No, but it's true. It, what it is, is is that there's just so much content and... It's just I don't I don't want to say so much to say and and, and it doesn't look like and we're we going to be letting up booze. anytime soon because there's so much to source from even from my uh, standpoint from being on the outskirts of 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 most general knowledge about listen then now diving in and then being able to compare what is already recorded in the texts versus what is being shown on screen and how it all culminates together where it's like there's so much to analyze oh, and we actually decided to jump into Angela Steedles mentioned by a couple of listeners wondering what our thoughts were and we we gave it to you yeah, a we lot did. of them we... a lot of screaming a mm-hmm. lot of stuff anyways so this is what this is intermission the second half to this episode should already be available by the time you get to this intermission message and if for some fucking reason you listener have entered the vortex of gay thirst time zone switches weird teleportation of ears i don't know how to explain it because you really shouldn't get to this before the other episode is posted but if you do please hit us up on one of our social media thingamabobs dm whatever and we'll give you a, a free gift like just a treat because we will be shocked and amazed that somebody somehow made it to our intermission message and the other half isn't posted that should be virtually impossible but again that must mean you have powers jaunty powers and you deserve a prize so if that's you if that happens if that's hey man <laughs> more power to you but otherwise we hope you enjoy this first half of gentleman jack uh-huh. crack Nightcap, episode yes. 105.5. Let's have another look at your past perfect. And we hope that you enjoy part two. Regency era lesbians. Oh my God.